I never realized there was a whole world out there of celebrity businessmen telling you how to be rich and successful. I never had heard of Gary Vee before. Done it, you've sold it, you've become a millionaire. What was that feeling like? Yeah, offered seven million and um, we turned it down. Which was, that was a mad conversation with my wife going home that night. But it was. Guess, guess what? Offered seven million. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. (laughs) She's like, Like, break out the red panties. (laughs) (laughs) It's red panty night. Hi, I'm Big Mix Food. And I'm Josh Goodgen. And this is the Breaking Bread podcast where each episode we chew the fat. Not literally, we just talk about stuff. And we're occasionally joined by a special guest or two. And on that topic... Today, I'm pretty excited about this one. I don't get excited about stuff very often either. Not love making, not new cameras, nothing like that. But today's guest excites me a lot. And it's uh, a man called Mr. Mike Winnett. How are you doing, Mike? Good. I'm your favorite YouTuber's favorite YouTuber. Yeah. I wish I had his views. <laughs> <laughs> and his subscribers. And how are you, Josh? I've just left you totally yeah, out. fuck you, man. <laughs> Mate, it's nice to have you, Mike. Uh, you are basically the, uh, the vigilante of the business world. You're like... Yeah, you are Batman of business. We said this before we started. I, I didn't want to nick his joke or anything. I, I was going to say that Mike's kind of like the, the 21st century Robin Hood slash Batman. He has a strong enough chin to play Batman. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, not because he literally steal, steals. <laughs> couldn't resist. He doesn't literally steal from the rich and give to the poor, but I think prevents in many ways poor people from being ripped off. Yeah, that's it. I am a uh, protector of the vulnerable people at home that think that one course is going to make him a millionaire. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to get, we're going to dive deep into that. I mean, the accolades are, are pretty high. You've got eight, 6,000 YouTube subscribers. You had many tens of thousands on LinkedIn, but got banned. Yeah. You've got number one best-selling book on Amazon. Um, blank, no words. Blank, in no words in it. And you've exited <laughs> from a business for many multiples. Uh, so I think it'd be a very interesting podcast for the listeners. Um, let's talk about that. I mean, let's quickly on the blank book. Uh, you just mentioned something before the podcast that somebody actually, st- so this, you came up with the idea. Let's let's try write a blank book, put it on yeah. Amazon. What? So what what how it started was so um, I was just looking at so many self appointed experts and gurus online. You know, the world's number one wealth coach or the UK's number one business consultant, and I just thought it seems bullshit. Like who? What poll have they topped? Or you know, who's decided that they're number one? But one thing I noticed was they all seem to be an Amazon bestseller. So I thought there's got to be something that they're doing to sort of get a best-selling book because most of the books are crap. (laughs) Uh, So I researched it, looked at what you needed to do and found that there's a certain way that you can game Amazon to get a number one bestseller. So I was going to do a video just to say, look, this is how they do it. And this is what you need to be aware of. Don't be fooled by this accolade of being a best-selling author. But what better than just tell people is to show people. So to proper take the piss, I had a book and I just wrote blank page on 144 pages. (laughs) Uploaded it to Amazon following the rules and the research that I'd done. Still better than Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was number one within 24 hours. I was a bestseller and that was it. I was being used as the face of the business section on Amazon, my um, the front cover yeah, of my yeah. book. And um, it kind of blew up. And then I did that. And because I'm a smallish YouTuber compared to a lot of these uh, big YouTubers, what I found was a lot of these bigger channels find ideas and things that have worked well on smaller channels, rip them off and then pass it off as their own. So sort of like a year or two years later. So yeah, is it Max Fosh? Max Fosh. He's a comedian, I believe. Never heard of him. Get your own jokes. Exactly. (laughs) What he took took that video idea, did he make the video? Yeah, but what was funny and fair play, 
I must have like a sort of little small group of hardcore fans that on his YouTube video just like kept saying, Mike Winnett, you've got this from Mike Winnett. So eventually he had to put in the bio, like, thanks to Mike Winnett or ah. inspiration from Mike Winnett, but it, but it took a week or two. At least acknowledged it in the fair end. Call. Yeah. That is fair, isn't it? But it's a bit of a sly, isn't it? If you're a it big is. YouTuber, like, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, he could have admitted it at the beginning. Say, I've seen this, I'm going to try and give it a go. At yeah. least give credit. Yeah, and do you know Zach and Jay? Yeah, you know yeah. that because you're starting to move in those circles now. <laughs> you're a social climber, isn't he? <laughs> social <laughs> climber. I don't know That's how far he's successfully climbed so far. Yeah, yeah not well, very far. Yeah, no, no. So, uh, but yeah, so um, Zach and Jay, uh, it was Jay that's more into his business. He actually got in touch and they were going to do a video about getting a book to number one on Amazon. And I think it was something about Elon Musk. I can't remember what the book was, basically. But he actually spoke to me and, and we... we told him how to do it and explained it all to him. And he sort of credited me right from the off. So you don't mind that. No. It's when it's the other way where someone's gone, like you've literally ripped this idea off step by step as off Mike Winnett's channel that I think is a bit sly. So. Yeah, that's a bit pony that, isn't it? Like but credit credit people if it's an inspiration. I mean, I've, I can talk about that Netflix style. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, definitely. That, but yeah. What I was going to say real quick is for the people, you know, the TikTok generation that don't have quite the attention span to listen for anything longer than five minutes. <laughs> I was just going to introduce, because the way I know Mike is um, from predominantly, because Mike's a whole like, force in and of himself right he has a proper job and stuff he's not just a youtuber like a professional idiot like me but i know him from uh the uh the series of videos he did which essentially exposed these people that mike terms entrepreneurs people that are trying to sell you a get rich quick scheme you know like forex or um crypto now whatever um but does it like humorously so like if if you if you're gonna listen to or watch the podcast could we drop a few cards in mike or whatever just to some of mike's better yeah. videos not that he has bad videos, Absolutely, but I mean, the, yeah. The, yeah, just so you get an idea for what he actually does because the videos are really good. I think that's largely due, to, due in part to his, uh, his editor. Um, uh, but yeah. Yeah, we've got Jack in the building. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you said that about like um, sort of giving people credit for, for everything. Like on, on day one of this podcast, we joked about obviously stealing the um, Jack Mate podcast idea, even though it's not because we don't, it's not an interview based podcast. But on day one, we took. Um, we made a clips channel. We did everything, but we did actually say like, obviously this is exactly the same as what Jack Mate would have done, <laughs> even the thumbnail design. But um, Ben Francis from Gymshark shared a bunch of our stuff because for, for Ben Pearson's YouTube channel, we set, I actually made a video saying like how we took Ben Pearson's channel from zero to a thousand subscribers and monetized within a week. And I took the style, I said where we got the thumbnail ideas from, the setup, all that. And we said we basically took it from like Lad Bible, from Joe Rogan, from this. But then Ben Francis watched some of Ben's videos and made that style of video and credited us for it. Yeah. And I, like I've already admitted that like we've sort of, there's not such thing as an original idea, is there? But no. at least we admitted that we've, <laughs> we've took inspiration from elsewhere. But, but on that topic, I think your audience is smart enough to know that. So yeah. it's almost like, just admit it or tell them. It's like when you're selling to someone. Just tell them that you're selling to them because we're all smarter now, aren't we? Like, yeah. You know when you're being sold to, you know when something's a bullshit backstory and stuff like that. So just kind of admit it and be more honest with it. I them. think you do when you're like in the business world, but we were talking about marketing last on the last podcast about like why we did a, a video about why Adam's not fat. And we were talking about like marketing in the fitness world. And most yeah. people don't realize they've been marketed to in the fitness world um, yeah. because like, you, you know, 95% of the public just... We were, we, yeah, we were saying essentially that, especially amidst YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all that nonsense now, People just listen to people that they like, right? They're, nobody on Instagram has any expertise to tell you, necessarily to tell you something. But if they're selling you, you know, like the, the world's greatest beard oil or whatever, then you, you might think, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy that. And they might not necessarily know 
that you know, you're being paid for it, even though it, they might hashtag ad in there, you know, which I think, yeah, so it's not always the case, I don't think. Absolutely not. I mean, so uh, let's, let's take this back to the beginning then, Mike. Um, what's your bullshit backstory? Tell us like, where it all started. Tell us about your career and, and for those that, that yeah, may, so may not already know. So I was born in uh, the jungle, didn't know my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I had to claw my way. No, um, nothing unusual, really. Just my dad's in the army. So I am the son of a soldier and I was uh, born in Germany, lived in Germany for a couple of years, kept moving every two years back into like normal squatty brats. And then when I was like six, we moved back over to Germany from the UK and I didn't like going to school in Germany. So I started asking my mum and dad if I could go to school in England. I hammered them for a year and eventually they relented and they, the army sort of pay, pay your fees if you want to be good to like private school. I don't know if you know this, a lot of people no. don't know. So they pay like a big contribution. So um, I went to a boarding school in North Wales. So I was the oldest of three children and the only one that went to boarding school. So from age seven, I went to boarding school and was then the only army child at that school. So we didn't have the money to be there. So I was like sort of um, exposed to a completely different type of person that actually paid for education and yeah. their parents all own businesses and stuff like that. So I was surrounded by that at a young age and it didn't seem unusual because obviously you your childhood's your childhood, isn't it? But I think that was probably the biggest influence on what I went on to do later on because most of my friends that were in the army either joined the army or did similar types of jobs, you know, joined the police force, yeah. joined the fabricate. But I always kind of felt like I was going to have a business from really a young age. And I think it was that was the reason why, because I was looking thinking, oh, well, his dad is a builder and they've got multiple properties or, you know, his dad... It's got a helicopter when I've been to his house or whatever. And it blew my mind that people actually live this life. So my nan always says that even age eight, nine, ten, I said I was going to be like a millionaire. And I kind of, I never thought of it as like a conscious decision, like I'm going to become that. I, I just believed I would at some point. That's fascinating. It's, it's, it's that, um, it almost normalizes it, doesn't it? You know, when they say about your, um, your circle of, of associates, like yeah. if, you, if you roll in a circle the or, average or, of your five friends. Yeah. That. If it becomes normal that your friends are YouTubers or are millionaires or are business people, you're going to pick up and learn from that. That's with anything. And, and, and if, if you hang, around, it, yeah, you hang yeah. around with drug dealers, all of people, well, not drug dealers, but like people that just like sniffing, <laughs> sniffing, sniffing, sniffing beak or whatever on a yeah, Friday, yeah. Saturday night, you've got to be pretty strong-willed not to do that. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to do that. So I do think there is something in that. But yeah, so that was it. So age seven, went to boarding school. And my mum and dad then would give me like a, an allowance, £200 a month it was. It sounds a lot, but they didn't buy me anything. It was almost like I had to buy my own toiletries, my own sweets, all that type of stuff. Like if I How old were you at this age? Seven. Shit. Mad, isn't it? So I don't even buy my own toilet paper now. That's yeah, like a like, Mrs. Beard thing. Can you imagine how much that costs as well for oh. him? Do you remember? I know it's a weird thing. You remember Jolly Ranchers? I don't even remember them. Yeah, they the were sweets. like hard sweets. How yeah. nice were they, by the way? Oh, yeah. They were, they were like an American. You could probably American, eat two ton of them. <laughs> I don't know, man. They were, like you said, they, they were hard, but they were like an American export one that came yeah, yeah. to England kind of at a certain time. I'm old enough to remember, yeah, Mike. But so, like, so Jolly Ranchers or something, I remember the schools. So they were, they were having ever much to wear a packet, like 30p a pack. But because I was budgeting for myself, I knew if I bought like a pack of seven it would work out like 22p a pack. So I started to like realize that about money, oh, economies of scale and buying things in bulk and yeah, yeah. stuff like that. And this isn't the, I used to sell chocolate in the playground and that's why I'm entrepreneur, not that kind of bullshit thing. But it's just, I realized if you bought, bought stuff in bulk, you could either then sell the excess and you've, you could keep the extra money. And so I started doing that from really young. 
uh, in boarding school. And then it went on to selling cigarettes because my mum and dad lived in Germany, so I'd get tax-free fags. Yeah. I used to be bringing over a box of 800. You used to buy, they look like a giant cigarette box with like loads of packets inside. Breaking them up, I was selling them for like 20, 30p a cigarette and stuff. So I was always doing shit like that. <laughs> it's class that, isn't it? This is, a, this is a really, this is a non-bullshit backstory, right? You could tell it's, you know, grounded. I'm not I'm saying you were... I expect you to be a liar or anything, but I mean, it's it's different to bullshit. You remember, the it, at, you remember it at school, though, there were always time kids that would sell sweets and like there were money to be made, you know, I would say I was still yeah. like, I used to sell sweets at school or, you know, like it, it's, you could make a bit of a bit of dough from it. So. I didn't, I used to eat the sweets. I didn't <laughs> sell them. Were you a fat kid, random one? Yeah, I was. Wait, yeah. it's mad how you eat so much was, food and you're not fat now though. Yeah, I know, but you can't, that's, that comes with knowledge of like how, you know, you exercise, you don't eat like, like shit all the time. Cause my mum used to force, well not force feed me, but like, you know, the food was a big deal in our house, right? You got any pictures of fat beard? Yeah, there was definitely a video where I ate like my, my fat kid diet in the, in the video. I'll we'll try to find Probably, that. I, I could say, I, I'll find some afterwards for you, Mike. All I, I wanted to know actually is, is a breaking bread called that because it's an anagram of beard and he's managed to slip that in without you knowing. This was, I wasn't my, that, that's all, all this is all Josh. <laughs> no, yeah, it wasn't, although that's what we've, we've named the, uh, the WhatsApp chat is breaking beard. Cause we figured we'll break him down at some point. Yeah. Um, that was like, how I read it first. I thought it was, I said this before in the first episode, I thought it was gonna be some kind of to- physical or mental torture every week. What were well, there were two names that suggested it was yeah. breaking bread and it was uh, table manners, but there were, were it, no, were it table manners? It was table manners. There's, another, it, yeah. there's another Breaking Bread podcast. I know, yeah, there is. I tried to tag one on um, Facebook. I only joined Facebook a week ago because I got banned from LinkedIn, obviously. <laughs> so I'm trying Facebook for the first time as a 37-year-old bloke. It's like a different world in there, isn't it? So, oh, I didn't realise everybody like, talks politics and it's proper mad, isn't it? A bit of a mad place. I, I, oh, yeah, it's mad. So I tagged them in thinking... Yeah, it was you guys. It turns, turns out, out it, you stole their idea. Yeah, They're going to drive by the HQ, I think. You're the Max Foss of the podcast world. <laughs> that, it's, it's by a guy called it Tom Papa. Tom Papa, Mike. Know, you told me. I think it's one of the oldest podcasts. It's like, it's, it's like an OG podcast, that. But, I mean, we had a guy, we had another Breaking Bread podcast from I don't know, Warrington or something. They DM'd us straight away and were like, why have you used this name? And I'm like, man, there's millions of people that's got this name. You know, it is what it is. If yours was any good, we'd have known you had it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's what you said, actually. Yeah, fuel the beef more. I don't, I don't <laughs> care. I'm like, uh, so what, so obviously you, you went, um, you were starting selling yeah. cigs and stuff in boarding so school. Boarding so. school, like stayed there, and it was quite strange. So boarding school, even in the primary school, you'd work, you'd, your school would start at half eight and it'd finish at five. So you're doing longer days, but it meant you got like ten weeks off in the summer, all um, right, stuff like that. So you, you'd do, um, and then it was like um, supervised homework. So I did all right in school in terms of grades. I won't reel them off. I've never been asked to give them in a job interview, but they're all A to C, you know, when you do your GCSEs. And then I left there and went to like a state school sick form. So I'd gone from being in a class of like 15 to 20 in my whole year at that school. Shit at sports, as you can imagine. And not even got enough like a rugby team properly. Can you stand up? Right, you're in the team. <laughs> so we used to get battered whenever we played sports or whatever. But then I, I went to a, an actual sick form of a high school in Hollywell, North Wales. And it was the first time I'd ever been to a school with like a thousand kids. And it was like, you know, they'd have like four or five different uh, forms in each year yeah. and stuff. So it was like a complete culture shock to me. And uh, I just sort of got my head down, got my A-levels. And then all this time, like my mum and dad like were living in Germany and stuff like that. So I would never really go home, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and then I went to university, age 18. I was in, I did criminology and criminal justice in University of East London, proper um, rough area of London as well. 
And I, uh, They're all fucking rough, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh yeah, you're, so, yeah. Don't get me started on London. If anybody, if anybody knows East London, Longbridge Road, there used to be a pub there called the Robin Hood, and um, it was proper like old school National Front, like we don't like black people type pub. I went in there and I got abused for being Northern. <laughs> like, they were even giving me shit or whatever, so it was horrible. So they had doormen on that pub from eleven in the morning to one the next morning, and they had a boxing ring in the back. So if anyone had like a dispute in the pub, they'd go no, legit, like legit. So it was like, so out the back, it was like a big uh, like venue where they used to put boxing shows on. So it was like a ring set up in the middle or whatever. And they'd go, I'll just get the gloves on and sort it out. So people used to like have a disagreement, <laughs> go in the back, try each other, yeah, yeah. come back in and crack on as normal. So I used to get called like Northern Monkey and all sorts of stuff by him. I remember once it was West Ham versus Everton on and uh uh, Everton won 2 0, and Leon Osman was like clean through and got like snapped down or whatever. And I never said that I was an Everton fan, <laughs> but I'd had a few pints and I went, fuck off, fucking book him like that. And someone threw a glass at me in there. I worked there. <laughs> 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 yeah, mad place. But so I went there and then I ended up leaving there because someone tried to stab me. So I moved from East London to Warrington, just like I just decided, sod that, I'm going. What what made you, I've got to ask, what made you think Warrington? The, the you know the, the sprawling open paradise of Warrington. Well, location-wise, it's good for Liverpool, Manchester, any of the main motorways. But my dad's from Warrington. Oh, I feel bad um, now. So uh, I didn't mean to take the yeah. Piss. So my family's from like Warrington originally. So right. I ended up going back there and I moved there on my own, uh, and that was it. I then had a criminology degree. I applied for a job. I was gonna. What I really thought I was gonna do is be sort of like a criminologist or something. But in the meantime, I was waiting for that. I applied for a job at a young offenders institute. Bearing in mind at this time, I must have been like nine and a half stone wet through. It's like 21, 22. Applied for a job there and their salary was 13 grand a year. And they give me, I went for the interview and they told me what it was. So it was um, 77 hour, hours a week, seven days. So you do seven days on, then you get seven days off. So essentially you're working two weeks. In one uh, week. Uh, you, yeah, you're working two weeks working in one week, but then you've got seven days to recover. And anyway, I was thinking... All right, sound that's I'm only working six months a year, you know, because you, like you're young, you don't like, oh no, I'm not. I'm just like doing a year's worth of work in half the time. So, so what would you need me to do? And it's, uh, if anyone knows um, Thorn Cross Young Offenders Institute, it's kind of like a sort of semi open prison. And they wanted me to be on a unit, bearing in mind I'm 21, <laughs> I have 60 inmates at any one time. And I had to supervise them from 11 p.m. at night till 11 a.m. in the morning on my own. <laughs> And I was like, what? And they go, yeah, it's like 15 to, I think it's 15 to 21 is the age at, at this place. And they're all like... Can you imagine the size of some 15-year-olds? Yeah, but even like the 20-year-olds. And I'm like, so I'm, I've got to, t- bear in mind, like, you've got a degree, whatever. And you paid £13,000 a year for this? That's exactly what I said. So <laughs> I, I walked out of there. My mum and dad have gone like, oh, so how did the interview go? I said, I am not supervising... 60 15 to 21 year old like offenders offenders yeah, yeah. on my own and it's also going they can let, them, let themselves in and out of the rooms <laughs> excuse me do you mind just going to bed please no mate okay <laughs> so i thought like fuck that so then i got a job in sales and that was the beginning for me then i couldn't believe that in sales you got paid a salary so you got paid a salary for turning up to work then if you sold anything you got paid more it's like you pay me to sell stuff. Well, you're now going to pay me to stuff for actually yeah, doing yeah. the job as well. And then I, I was earning like double what I would have earned at Young Offenders Institute and not likely to get beat up or stabbed. So I just thought, this is the life for me. I can't believe that you are now in a job where, and while I didn't have my own business, yeah. 
I'd thought of it as being self-employed. The company I worked for just provided me the things that I sold. Yeah. So you'd get out what you put in type of thing. And I just took to sales so well. And that was it. Then I was off. What were you selling then at the time? Um, so my first sales job was a, a car phone warehouse. That was my... Fucking hell, man. They've, they've produced some prodigies. So Jimmy yeah. Hill, who we were just telling you about... Um, Rest, R.I.P. <laughs> Not that one. Not that one. <laughs> Different one. Yeah, he, he was the same. He uh, he started at car phone warehouse and he was buying back people's phones. Yeah. You know, as they're coming for trading, it's like, oh, I'll give you a hundred quid for them. And then selling them on eBay. Oh, see, so was he doing a little side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so I ended up getting sacked from there for having a little side scam of my own. This must be the thing. You weren't quite as smart as Mr. Jamil then, were you? He didn't get caught. Millionaires, <laughs> this has been made by yeah. Carphone Warehouse. Man, so like I got a... sacked by Carphone Warehouse, yeah. But I'd have other jobs. I'd worked in Bookies and I'd worked at McDonald's. Everyone needs to do a stint there to learn about life, don't they? But um, yeah, so I failed my floor manager exam at McDonald's. Like, uh, yeah, well, I wasn't good enough to pass the at exam. Yeah, yeah, I passed, I failed that exam. <laughs> they were fuming at me. I said, like, I just feel like my dissertation that I'm also doing at the same time is slightly more important. <laughs> they saw their ass over it. And um, it's funny, like the guy that was there, and one of them like, I've seen a hundred lads like you before. You think you're going to go on and do something and blah, blah, blah. And he's still in McDonald's now in Warrington 16 years later. But yeah, um, so yeah, I just started doing sales and started making like decent money. But I, I saw it as it's my own business. So when I first was, I could sit next to anybody on the floor, you know, when you're learning and doing yeah. training. And I had a, a good mate that worked there at the time. And he goes, oh, come sit next to me. I sat next to him for one day. And he goes, this is easy, this. You don't even have to do many sales. And you weren't, you end up getting three pound a deal. So I was like, how much commission are you making? He was like, oh, I'll make 300 quid a month. And I was like, right, okay then. I was thinking, fuck that. Who's the one that's making the most money in here? Let me sit next to that guy. So I just said, who's making the most money? I went and sat next to him couple of scousers i won't say their name they'll know who it is if they <laughs> hear this and they were making like two grand a month commission which is massive money you know when you're like 21 and stuff on can you get you. mike a job there he's looking he's, he's a scouse <laughs> as well he might be like, he's got a wedding to pay well, this year so i started doing that so within about six weeks i went from being brand new on the shop floor to being like the fifth fourth or fifth top earner in a big call center of like maybe 60 of us and they had one in preston as well anyway we all get called in probably about six, seven weeks into me starting there. And it turns out the biggest earners there will show me some tricks that you weren't meant to do or you weren't meant to do. So I'd not been doing it right. And then I got booted out. Oh, never. For, um, so I was then put in retention. So you know when you want to quit, I was the guy that was like, you don't want to do that. You want to sign up for a multi-roller razor for <laughs> £50 a month or whatever. So I was that guy. I was like, I won't let you leave this business yeah. guy. And it turns out that all the tricks of the trade that I've been taught by these scousers <laughs> um, didn't quite work out. So I got sacked and so did six, so did six of them. So that was it. I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Got a job at BT, then went to Ibiza and just messed about in Ibiza for a year and then come back and thought, I'm 24 now, I need to do something. And then I thought, do you know what I want to do? I've always wanted my own business. I don't want to pay someone to teach me in a step-by-step -step course. I don't want to do any of these things. I like to learn through experience and doing. I think that's the best sort of teacher and the best way to learn. So I thought, why spend two grand on somebody's course to learn how to do business? Why don't I just go and work in somebody's startup business and actually get paid to learn? Yeah. And that's what I did. I, I then went and worked in a startup for two and a half years. And I would say it was like maybe the 15th person in that startup. So it wasn't brand new. And then I thought, now I need to do extra learning. I left there and took a pay cut. So I went down to 14 grand a year, which is mad, isn't it? After, you know, doing the job that I did to go and work in a business that had no employees. I was the very first employee. 
They didn't have a sales process. They didn't have a way to um, acquire new businesses. They had a single page website, but I knew I would learn more about business there than you would at any blue chip company or corporate company or whatever. And I just worked there and I basically, you're sat in a room sort of like half the size of this with three founders of a business and you're hearing conversations that you're well above your pay grade. You're not meant to hear about marketing strategy and budgets and stuff. You know, if you're just like a telly sales guy, but I was, so I was just absorbing everything and I stayed there for four years. And that, that were a conscious decision. So conscious decision. That was. Is, that's just crazy to think about because most people, I mean, especially you just mentioned it before, like TikTok and instant gratification. And this goes back to like other conversations we've had, but to have the foresight to go, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to spend the next seven or eight years just learning to then put myself in a position to. Well, I thought I want to run my own business, but why would I risk it and do it out on my own time and like pocket to start with? So I did that as a conscious decision to say, I'm going to learn everything I can about startup business while I'm getting paid to be here. And was he clearly a precocious talent, right? Because if you were hocking fags seven years old or whatever it was. Oh, no, no. Jolly the, the fags from latest, yeah. The, or, <laughs> 12 then, whatever. <laughs> then I think Mike's probably just 10 years ahead of it, at least everyone else, right? Yeah. So that, that makes sense. And that that's always that. my advice to anybody. Now people always say like, what's your one piece of advice for anyone that's starting their own business? I said, if you're, you think you want to run your own business, go and do two years in a startup business yeah. because ideally in the sector you want to work in, but even if it's not, you're still going to learn. But then I hear, well, I'm not going to like take a pay cut up to do it, but you have to, because if you want to run your own business anyway, you're probably going to have to take a pay yeah, cut. You're going to a shoestring. But also I hear this is like a reason not to, well, what if the startup fails or what if the business, you know, goes under or I get made redundant? Good, because now you're seeing the absolute worst that could happen if you run your own business. So that's better learning yeah. than anything else. You'll always find another job. You can always go back to what you used to do, but you're not going to hear about sales processes, marketing, uh, the accounting software, launching a CRM, data, marketing, sales, all these different things that, when you're sat in a room and you're hearing every conversation, you learn so much and you're in a position where you can actually impact that business on a daily basis. I used to come up with ideas. We'd be trying it two days, three days later. Yeah. But if you work for BT, if you go, oh, I've got an idea how we can make the you know, the dialer more efficient, that's got to go through about 15 layers of management. And then it might take a year to roll out. So I was in a position where I could suggest you, things, you could try, try things. Stuff, not on your own diamond or yeah. your own risk. But also my idea was... If I'm the first person in a business and I stay here, I like it, I earn a lot of money and I don't set up my own business, you're always, by virtue of being there longer than most people, well, everybody else, you're kind of senior to everybody. So you'll always be getting promoted as more people come in because the next sales guy comes in, I train that sales guy. I'm now a team leader by default. I'm now the sales team. I've I've never been a sales team leader (laughs) before, but I am now. And that's how it started. So I just did that for four years. And at the end of that, I was on 75 grand. So I went from 14 to 75 grand a year in four years. Whoa. Um, and that's when I knew I've learned enough here that I think now I was kind of restricted. I couldn't really make much more money because people were starting to get arsy about how much money I was earning at this point. Um, I could do this for myself. So I made the conscious decision then. I looked at my expenses and I've always been a saver by nature. I'm not very like frivolous or whatever. I don't wear any like jewelry. Um, I drive a Tiguan. Like, and all this, you know, like nothing's yeah. like flash or anything. So I, my actual expenses were two grand a month. So I made a conscious decision 
a year before I left to set up my own business, I know I can survive for six months on 12 grand and it not really affect my daily living. So the day I had 12 grand in my bank account was the day I was going to leave. So I saved a grand every month. And then once I hit 12 grand, I walked into work and I quit that day. And I had a baby on the way at that time. So I come home at 10.30, 10.30 in the morning. On a, But honestly, we'd never have more money than 75 grand. It was like, it was like four and a half grand after tax in yeah. your account. And she was like, wait, like, what, what, why do you want to throw this all in? I just said, I don't want somebody else to be in charge of my actual earning capabilities. I want the ability to be able to earn as much or as little as I want to and yeah. work when I want. have the freedom, the opportunity to like choose when I want to do things. And I was 29 at the time. If I don't do it now, when will I do it? You're never ready. Yeah. yeah. But I felt with uh, six years in startup business, I felt I had just enough learning and understood business enough to have a crack at doing it on my own. I didn't think I was definitely going to be successful. I just thought I've got a fair crack of the whip here. And it was because I knew I had 12 grand in my account that whatever I did, I had six months to come up with an idea that worked before I had to go back and get a job. And that's what I did. I didn't even know what my startup was going to be on the day I quit. That's, that is wild, man. So she goes, she said like, what, what are you going to do? What's your business going to be? I, said, I, I do not know. But I've got one pay. I've got one payday because they put me on gardening leave because yeah. they were worried I was going to do something similar. I did something completely different. But I thought I've got four weeks to work out what I'm going to do. So I didn't even know what business I was going to start up on the day I walked out and quit seventy five grand a year. See, twelve thousand pounds not a lot of money either. To you know, like it's not like you could use that capital to really start up when you'd already allotted that to. I didn't want any investors. Yeah, yeah. And that's one. And again, another tip that I do: if you can do it without investors, do it without investors because I promise you, you will work harder when it's your own money that's funding something. When your back's against the wall and you basically, you eat what you kill, I bet you will make more sales if it's your own money that's funded yeah. a business compared to if you've got 200 grand from investors sat in a bank account. You'll spend their money like it's going out of fashion because it's not your money. But when every penny counts and it's your money, I guarantee that, I don't know the stats, I'm, I'm throwing this out there as a kind of, it, it might not be true, but I would guess from my own experience and speaking to loads of business owners that when you're a bootstrap startup, which means that you've got no investors and no investment from other people, I guarantee that you probably work harder and you've got a better chance of success than if you are a funded startup, I believe. And that was it. So I quit the job, didn't even know what I was going to do. And she was like, what the hell are you going to do? And then in that four weeks, I come up with the idea with a couple of friends of Learning Heroes, Ian being one of them, yeah. who you know. That's and amazing. That I mean, like, I, I just think back at like when I started in my business, the only reason I started, the, like I, I enjoyed video, I enjoyed YouTube. I'm like, oh, I could probably have a crack at that. And the reason I chose to start a media company as opposed to being a freelancer is because my mate Josh, who was a freelancer, said, oh yeah, I can get paid 200 pound a day as a freelancer. I thought, oh, can I ask a lot of money that? I'm going to get paid 200 pound a day to shoot video. And then I thought, who's paying 200 pound a day? It's a production company. So I immediately just set up a limited company. And when yeah. I'm going to be a company. Because you want to try and go up the food chain, don't you? Yeah, right? well, like if if, if yeah. you're paying, you're getting paid £200, they must be at least selling it for £400. As like in my head, I'm like, so if we can charge 400 and it costs you, like, what, I'm like, there's money to be made, but it would definitely want, and for me, I had to make £2,000. It wasn't a case if I had £2,000, it were like, I'm getting married next year. I've got a house. I need £2,000 a month-ish to live. 
I was like, I need to find the 2,000 pound. And that's why that stay hungry thing. Sorry, go on. Sorry, go on. Like, no, I was just going to say, I feel like I'm, you know, when you sat at the table with like your dad and your uncle when you were a kid and they're talking <laughs> like, I'm just like, what the fuck are these guys? But no, sorry, go on. Yeah. You used to work in a bank though, didn't you? I well, did, I worked in a bank sadly. for a bit in a HSBC I, as a student. I'm feeling a little bit more kind of confident about my life choices now because when I actually left, I had a plan. I'm not like um, Billy, big, that, Billy Big you. Balls over here saying I'm fucking leaving, but I don't have a plan. <laughs> don't think I would have gone down well with Lindsay <laughs> if I tried. We didn't have a baby on the way though. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, I did work for a bank. Yeah, I worked in HSBC and I only was there four days before I knew I was going to leave. And <laughs> the reason why I left, so I was in there. It was a guy called Kevin Ball. And I don't know if, he, I don't know if he's still alive now. He was close to retirement then. But um, so I was, that was my first proper job like when I finished university and I got it because my girlfriend at the time, mum worked in the bank. So she was like, oh, you know, job for life, get a job at the bank. I knew I didn't want to do it, but I just thought, a Pisa, I'll just get a job like this summer while I'm sorting out between university and what I'm going to do next. And uh, so Kevin was sat there and it was in, um, on Chester High Street. I don't know if you know Chester at all. Uh, yeah, so HSBC on Chester. And uh, he had um, like a gold little brooch on um, with the HSBC logo. And he had uh, a calendar out and he was looking at it and he had a little like certificate on the wall for 30 years service. So and he was looking through this. Like, this was the re- this was the day I knew he was going to quit the bank. Uh, and but, but this time, by the way, it was 11 grand a year as a cashier, this was. And again, like I was taking money from people and seeing how much was in the bank account and seeing what they did. And it made me think like, there's something in this, having your own business. Anyway, but um, I said, what are you doing, Kev? I was only there four days. And he goes, catalogue, 30 years service. And what do you mean? He goes... So, because I've been here so long, I can literally pick anything out of this as like my sort of present or prize or whatever. And I was like, right, what are you going to get? I'm going to get a sit on lawnmower. <laughs> right. And I said, sit on, lawn- <laughs> sit on lawnmower. Like, yeah. I said, for 30 years service at the bank. It's like, yeah, he goes, it's mad, isn't it? They let me pick anything I want out of it. <laughs> And with that, I literally went home and I said, I'm not working in the bank anymore. I ain't doing 30 years for a fucking law, man. <laughs> and a gold brooch. But he was made up at that. And and it kind of, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, because the world obviously needs people to do these jobs. But it just kind of made me think, I don't want to give somebody else, a big corporate that doesn't really give a fuck about me, the best years of my life. It's that comfort thing, isn't it? I guess after 30 years, like, you know, you... you, you that the, you're so comfortable and that's just a done thing. How big's your garden you, anyway? You, you're terrifi- <laughs> I think you're terrified. Of, the people are conditioned to be terrified of leaving, right? Yeah. I think that's what it is because so. you well, get schoolmates, perks and stuff. Schoolmates, um, it, and it teaches you to be good employees. Yeah, yeah. The system's set up like that because <laughs> what else could he choose? Like, was there, I'm thinking maybe there he chose there a gold like, Rolex. He, he, he chose a lawnmower <laughs> because that was the that was seemed like the most wild thing but you could yeah, get. But it's like, but I just had this image of him just like sat there his back, like, and his chuffed a bit. Yeah, like living in Chester, I don't think he'd have a garden big enough to roll around on it or anything. Just like maybe just driving like, in his garage, like huh? <laughs> use it as his primary vehicle. This going to the shops and whatnot. So yeah, so thanks to Kev Ball. At, um, that day, if I'd not started that week and I realised that, you know, for 11 grand and then 30 years later, I might get a lawnmower out of it. I might have been in the bank. But yeah, taking people's money and seeing that guy's on 60 grand a year doing that, that guy's on 50 grand a year. He's bringing in thousands every week. A lot of it was property people, weirdly. So I kind of thought I might do something in property was my idea. You first thought. Yeah, yeah. So learn, So you mentioned then that you, you started Learning Heroes. How, so how many people were involved in that? Four of us. So it was um, me and then three friends. 
So on day one of that, you'd already had a plan in place to exit the business at some point. So like you'd gone into business straight away going, I'm going to sell this, yes, make we, a million. Yes, we kind of looked at what, in, so there's a few things that you need to look for if you want to set up a business and then exit it. So ideally you want um, like an industry that's underserviced or that there really does need change. And it's a bit of a cliche, but where you can be disruptive, like where can we give like an opposite message and like a real alternative in terms of choice? And then there was a few little tick box we had for the actual model. Can it be content based? Can it be online? Um, can we make something once and sell it many times? So that's why subscription businesses do so well, because obviously you can prove that you've got guaranteed monthly recurring revenues, which means that when you sell, you get a bigger multiple. That's why Netflix does so well, because they make one series and then 10 million people all pay to watch that series. Whereas a lot of businesses where they fail, it's one piece of content, one thing for one person. Yeah. So it's almost like, so take for what, what you do. Like a client comes to you and says, we want a video. You shoot a video, you sell it for whatever you sell it for. You're getting paid once. But if you shot a piece of training content, let's just say for argument's sake, which yeah. is what Learning Heroes made, I make cybersecurity awareness course, but then 340 clients, the same amount of effort went into building that thing. Yeah but I'm now getting paid 340 times for the same bit of content. So that was the, the, the thought process we had. I had no, or we, I had no experience in e-learning or online training at all. I just knew it fit that criteria. So literally as long as we could put that model to any industry, which I think is quite weird in the sense that we didn't have a passion. We weren't passionate about yeah. online learning or anything like that. It literally was shit. That market is ripe for real change. So we're now going to put this model into that sector we didn't want to be known as the e-learning boys or anything like that. So we said, this is the date we're going to sell that business for 10 million. And we pretty much in the first month backwards planned that whole business. So we'd sell it for that. That's it. Because if you don't know what you're aiming for or where you're going to go, I think many businesses and people in life just aimlessly go from one week to the next. But we made a conscious decision that we would sell a business for 10 million on a set date, three years in the future. And then it made every other decision up to that point easy because you then go, does it fit the band? We used to say, does it make the boat go faster? You, yeah. might, have heard, you might know the book, but um, so yeah, it doesn't make the boat go faster. So it was like, so decisions. So bearing in mind, we weren't paying ourselves a salary or anything. We didn't pay ourselves for like the first year, um, which is again mad. So I went from 75 grand a year to then like living on my own savings for pretty much a year and then taking one month from like paying myself like 1500 quid yeah. or two grand or whatever. But we um, then could go, right, Google came along when we were about three or four months into the business and said, could you make a piece of bespoke work for 90 grand? Which when you've not been paying yourself for like three months, yeah. it's shiny, isn't it? You might go, oh yeah, let's do it. But because it didn't fit the plan, we said no to that piece of work because it would have tied us up to work with Google for three months and it would have meant we couldn't have made content that we could have sold. So we continued to make content that we sold for £350 a week and turned down the 90 grand that Google had offered us. Because that's pretty baller to turn down Google. That's that's top end. Are you f fist bump for that? Yeah. <laughs> but it, and it, but that was because it didn't fit the plan. Like if we did yeah. that, it would have put us three months behind our plan to get a ten million pound exit. So we knew doing that work, making a cybersecurity awareness training course, or making that's such a balls. Like you know, you I put know. it to context. Like, I feel like it's context now, and I, I, like it resonates with me because I'm like, you know, we've done jobs that we don't want to do, but and it does sort of deter it sends you back but if you need revenue you need revenue don't you but, but it's kind of false economy that isn't yeah, it because yeah, absolutely, if, yeah. but only if you've got a plan that you're working towards yeah 
we had it in lockdown. So obviously the real business that we've got, Iron Productions, we obviously do very similar to you. In theory, we should be competitors, shouldn't we? I suppose. Go on, fight. Fight. No, no. But, but, Barry Hill used to but do that. Mad, fight. <laughs> but what's bad, like how we first met, I was like, yeah, like come in and see us. Yeah, like, yeah. You said like, can I come and see you? And, that, and this is what I mean about a lot of people. They get too caught up with all that. There's enough work to go around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there were no reason for us to, like I were just a fan of Mike's and I would messaged I think I messaged you on LinkedIn or mess- I, I, I can't remember how I got in contact with you, but I, like, I just want to come and have a chat with you. There was no reason. And, you know, probably now you'd say no, but I think it was just right place, right time. Depends, um, what, depends what mood I'm in. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was just one of the, like, our funny content. But it goes, it goes to show as well. Uh, and I, I've got an example of YouTube of that very same thing. Um, Joe James Jarney, he does some videos in my space now. He must have like nearly one and a half million, two million subscribers. He sent me a message on LinkedIn, like maybe three years ago. And he said, I've seen your entrepreneur video. It's a huge inspiration to what I want to do. I want to make content on this. And I, what's funny is I didn't realize for two years it was him. And so I basically give him loads of information said like, yeah, mate, like blah, blah, blah. This is what you need to do or whatever. Fast forward two years. He's, he's got like 2 million followers. <laughs> and he did some, I asked him if he'd helped me with a piece of work. And he was like saying, oh, I don't know if you remember this, but you helped me make my very first video that blew up. And I was like, oh. did I? He was like, yeah. And then he was like, show me the screenshots. I was like, That's... So it kind of goes to show that, you know, be nice to people. And, you know, even when they, you, you might consider man. them as a competitor and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So a lot of these people that I inspired with my YouTube channel yeah. have fucking gone on to bigger and better things than me. Like, But <laughs> but, um, but it goes to show that, like, they look up to you for, like, the body of your work. Even if you might not be the best seller or whatever, you're like, you can inspire like, those people with your content. But anyway, yeah. So that was a conscious decision to stay, stick away from that work. And did, well, did you make the target then? Uh, yeah, of course. Well, almost. Um, we got eight million and two and a half years, so we were six months short. But um, what I was going to say about the Iron Productions thing was during lockdown, we started taking on clients just to make sure that bills got paid and yeah. wages got paid, and we dug ourselves into a bit of a hole because we didn't take our own advice and it doesn't fit the plan. So we were doing work that we weren't really interested in for not much money, just to make sure that we could just pay wages. And it goes against so many like principles that made our first business so successful. And also you're making bespoke content. Yeah. You want a piece of work, I make a piece of work for you. The same amount of effort goes into writing it, animating it, scripting it, whatever it might be. So uh, yeah, so that's what we did. And we basically backwards planned how many clients we'd need, what price the product would be to hit these certain milestones, how many customers we'd need. And then we had an idea for who would want to buy us, why would they want to buy us, how do we get on their radar? And we had two different strategies to sell the business. We proactively attacked some competitors' client base. So in theory, thinking they might buy our business to protect their own business. And then we proactively um, worked with businesses that our content complemented. So they might buy our content because it's a nice fit and an easy upsell for their stuff. So we had two different sales strategies and we had that pretty much from month two. It was like, these are the 10 people that could buy us we're going to make sure that we're actively working with these in a nice way. And these we hate, let's try and crush them. Let's take all their clients because then they might buy us to save their own business. And that was the two sort of like strategies that we ran. So what was it like then to go from all that planning, all that foresight to getting the exit and it's like ticking the box and it's like you've done it, you've sold it, you've become a millionaire. What was that feeling like? Yeah, it was mad. So how the sale came out of the, like the sale kind of came out of the blue got a phone call one day wanted on a, a conference call and um pretty much said we like what you're doing blah 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 
And this is new to us. We're like working class lads from Warrington or whatever. So it's a bit, and they offered us 7 million on, on a, on a conference call on a Friday. And, um, Do you think I could, can I, can I turn my business when I, when I retire? You think I could sell a channel for like a mil? No. Grand. But you're integral to that bit, aren't you? They need you. Do you know what I mean? <sighs> they didn't want to hear that, did you? Nah, what are they going to do? Like, it's not like on um, East Just get Enders. some other little airy fella to do it. Coronation Street. Like, <laughs> beard looks different. It's got like a long white beard this time. We'll get Conor McGregor's mate. Oh yeah, of course. He yeah. Can come in. He's got tattoos or people won't buy it. Anyway, could sorry, do it. Mike could grow a beard. I don't know. It looks like he grows. I'd lose my uh, trademark. Yeah, so offered 7 million. And um, we turned it down, which was, that was a mad conversation with my wife going home that night. But it oh, was. Yeah. Guess, guess what? You were offered 7 million. So she's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> she's like, like yeah. break out the red panties. <laughs> <laughs> it's red panty night. <laughs> uh, yes. And it was, uh, I said, and she goes, so I said like, no, we turned it down. And then they come back with 8 million on the Monday. And then they said, but if we're going to do this, it's going to be done within 30 days. So they flew over from America on the Tuesday and literally we had them pulling our business apart for a month to work. They were saying, if it is as you say it is and you've got the clients that you say you've got yeah. and all the numbers add up, we'll make an offer um, to you. And then um, that was it. I mean, there's a few things that happened in that month, but it was dead stressful because the maddest thing about that was you're inviting a competitor into your business, potentially because they make content as well. And you're giving them the keys to the business, like you're breaking down, this is what we did, is the paperwork, is how we got the clients. If they're a business and they can throw 8 million at you, just like that, but they know that you're four dickheads from Warrington that have done it <laughs> with no investors. Yeah. My biggest worry at that time was what's stopping them just doing it in six months, but throwing 2 million at you and getting like 20 animators and 20, yeah. they, they could bypass it. So that's why we sold at that point. Number one, remember I said about the market conditions at the beginning, can you be disruptive? Can you come up with a, so we had loads of USPs. We didn't price per head or price per course. It was just Netflix model, one cost, all your business. So we undercut loads of people. We didn't have long contracts. You don't like it, just fuck off, just cancel your contract. So it was like rolling contract or whatever. So people used to say to us, why is your content so cheap? But it was land grab because we knew we were getting the money at the end. So we weren't asked about the money on the way up. We knew our big payday was coming on that three years. So that's how we did it. Um, so... Um, Oh, that's what I was going to say then. Uh, yeah, so um, so you've got the keys to your city, so they can see how quickly you've done this. My biggest fear was what's stopping them. But by the end of that three years, well, two and a half years, because we'd impacted so many other businesses, we'd signed up 340 clients with an average spend of £420 per month. Right. So that was the money that was coming in every month, guaranteed. Mad. Um, what's the revenue on that? Because we do it math right quick. Um, yeah, but we ran at high cost. That was the only oh, problem. Right, okay. We had like 21 staff at this point yeah. and we had a decent office in Warrens. It was like three grand a month. So profit was was low, like really low. Anyway, um, but it was the multiple. Yeah. And the people that bought us, by the way, they sold like a, a learning system. We made content that fit, fit inside learning systems. Their learning systems like 50 to 100 grand. So they knew potentially they could sell their 50 to 100 grand products to 340 of our clients. Yeah. And then they could sell our five, 10 grand product. So they had like 3,600 clients. Do you know what I mean? So they could just go boom, plug it in. They actually are just a little tangent. They flipped that business again, nine months later. And then the group sold for $2.6 billion. So all they've done is just rolled loads of businesses in together. Yeah. And that's one of the things I always say, when you're looking to sell your business, how can you compliment somebody else's business? Um, anyway, 
um, the industry had slowly changed and the industry started. So where we'd been like a USP, no contracts, cancel any time, low cost. And the animated explainer video style, which was unusual for e-learning at the time, the industry had now started to move towards that. So we were probably at a prime position to sell then. And that's why we took the 8 million. And also they then said they didn't want us to do a workout. So from that day, so when we got the money, it was like 32 days it was. And that was on the Friday. We weren't allowed to say anything because it had to be announced to the stock market. Um, and then on the Monday, me and Ian went into work and said like, thanks. Those Americans that you've seen for the last month that you thought were thinking about, because we had to have a cover story that you thought were going to be opening an office, a learning heroes office in America. Actually, they're the new owners. And everyone's like, well, obviously a little bit like, well, how's this happened? And the first thing they said, I'll never forget, was, right, so the first thing we want to do is get, give everybody a five grand pay rise. <laughs> so they all that's got nice. a five grand pay rise. But that's what they that's what they do. And then they got shares in the business, which is pretty cool. So they got a shares and they got medical care and yeah. they got free gym membership, all these different, because American company. I can get behind that, free gym membership. Nice. Yeah. Have you got that beard incorporated? Not obviously staff. <laughs> and if, if I did, it would be Mrs. Beard and she wouldn't go to the gym. So like, what would be the fucking point? Anyway, go but on. It was mad. So, 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 the, so then when that business sold again, nine months later, they were all quitting because they all had shares. Yeah. So there was like loads of them that were getting like thousands and thousands as a little, as a lump sum when the new business sold. So what were it like for you then on that day 32, you got a lump of money in your bank, but didn't have a job. Were it a bit, were it good or were it, were it high or low? Were you ready to retire? I would say. Uh, what, after you just got a massive wedge of cash? Yeah. You know, I mean, you hear about stories where like... It, Oh, it's horrible. I would say my life's been in steady decline since then, really. Really? Yeah, I'd only say like now, sort of the last maybe two, three months, I've felt like I'm actually getting back to my old self. I feel like I've got that, what made me successful that time round back again. Um, I felt I was applying for jobs two weeks later. Again, like, because I like to learn things properly rather than going to courses. And I wanted to get involved in property. I was applying to work in a state agency in Warrington. That's mad. Yeah, look, so I'm laughing at you. I'm just laughing because it's crazy. Because I looked at it like this. I could go to someone's course and they tell me how to do all this stuff. Or I could go and work in a state agents, get paid to learn, yeah. work there for you. Like, you know, like, you need to do something otherwise go mental. Um, so um, I will sit there and when someone wants to sell their house, if it's a good deal, I can buy it myself <laughs> before <laughs> anyone else. It's like careful warehouse with houses. <laughs> so that was, that was my, but that was, that's genu genuinely my mindset is like, I would, I want to get paid for learning. But because at this point I'd grown such a decent audience on LinkedIn, yep. everybody thought I was up to something. I couldn't get a job in Warrington. Like everyone's like, no, like we know you're, you had your own business and you sold it. So what's the catch? Why do you want to come and work here? So I even offered, I'm at this. I even offered to work for free and only pay me on what I sell. Just let me come in, work, and no one would touch me in a, in, in a state agency in Warrington at the time because they thought there's something not right about this because they wouldn't own me. Like if they go to an employee, you've got to work on a s Saturday. You kind of have to, don't you? Because your business has to. But if I'm going, I've got two million in the bank or whatever, I don't have to work Saturday, mate. I get that. Not overqualified, but like overly comfortable, I suppose. So they can't really control... You know, what, and I think it was that, I think it was that, and that's, that's what happened. So I basically just, that's how the whole entrepreneur started because I just thought I'm trying to learn how to invest because everyone was at this point, so this is 2017, Bitcoin's kicking off, crypto's kicking off. Um, I knew cause I've read loads of books that I should do something with property and I know I should do something with stocks and shares. Weirdly, I'd already started property investing in 2011, but nothing major, just yeah. like. 
save six grand, put that down on a flat in Warrington, stuff like that. But um, proper old school, like you save up your 10% or your 20% if it's a, a residential mortgage. So what I would call like your parents' way to invest. Well, you save up your money and then you... So I was doing that anyway. Um, but yeah, I couldn't get a job. And that's where the entrepreneur thing. So I started to actively look online for experts. Like I want to learn about crypto because yeah. everyone keeps talking about it. Who's the expert? And that's when I started to find, he seems legit. But then as soon as I do research... Oh, his business hasn't shown a profit. He's saying there he's the number one wealth coach in the world, but his business has never shown a profit and he doesn't own any assets. And And then I started to realize, fucking hell, there's so many fakes on here that if I wasn't in, if I was vulnerable or not in a lucky position, I would have probably bought his course or believed this person. And that's when I went to that Gary Vee event in London. I sat there and watched the same pitch over and over again to the point where I just thought, this is interesting. I want to, you know, I didn't have anything else to do. I didn't have a job. So <laughs> like, I'm going to make content about this industry because the maddest thing about all this, um, having my own business and stuff, I never had Facebook. I never had Instagram. I never had Twitter. I had no social media, bar LinkedIn, which I use for Legion at all. I never realized there was a whole world out there of celebrity businessmen or Instagram businessmen telling you how to be rich and successful. I never had heard of Gary Vee before yeah. or Grant Cardone. I didn't know any of these business gurus until after I'd sold my business. Why? Because I was too fucking busy working to my plan to become a successful businessman. We were talking about it just before we went on air, didn't we? Um, about people that, so, so to get drawn into a, a property course or like a get rich quick scheme or let's buy this like cum rocket you know like on, <laughs> on the, you know do you have to say that one on day you have one. to be the cum rocket one but like and I, i've got a friend who's like he's, he's got into quite a, a lot of debt with it you know with you know I've, i know that he's previously bought like a property course on the back of going yeah. to a, an event where they said you need no money you just need a credit card that's the one that annoys me the most the no money down stuff because if you're using no money down as your headline to attract people you are knowingly trying to attract people that haven't got money, right? So by virtue of that, you know it's probably, and it's a horrible thing to say, probably the people least qualified to get involved in property because any money that they can get their hands on is going to be credit cards, it's going to be difficult for them. Why don't you do a property investment course for anybody that's got 100 grand in the bank? Because that way, the people that you're dealing with have got some sort of, A, they've got their own funds, but they've got some sort of business acumen, or understand money a little bit better yeah. because, but no, the reason why you don't target them people is because they're too savvy for what bullshit you're trying to give That's, them. It's so true, but like, yeah. I guess it don't get said enough that, does it? You know, like it's, I always say this, right? It's easy to take somebody from good to very good or good to great. That's probably an easier journey for anybody, whether it be in business or sports or whatever. It's easier to work with those people and talk to someone that's got absolutely no experience in something and make them good. That it's part of the journey is the, the hardest part of any journey. So if you, uh, and I, I remember sitting next to her at this event, um, a, she was a VA virtual assistant and, uh, we were at this event and this guy, um, who actually, it was this talk that became the main guy from the entrepreneur formula. And he was saying how he could turn any business in 10 months into an, uh, eight, it was either eight months into 10 million or 10 uh, months into 8 million. I can't remember what it was now. So bear in mind, I've sat there and I've done it. So I'm thinking, oh, you make it, oh, I've done it the wrong way. 
I should have just done what this guy's saying. Like, you can do it for four four hours a, a, a month, a week from your Oh man, I hate that one. The, the four hour working week. That's like a common thing <laughs> that people bullshit. actually believe. Yeah, it's bullshit, four hour man. working week, man. <laughs> but you know what? Do me a favor. I don't even have a real proper job and I work more than that. Yeah, but do you know what? If they'd wrote that book, which was um, the 16 hour work day for, and you might not pay yourself for a year, if that was the title of the book, I yeah. guarantee they won't sell as many books. True. So it's it, that's what I mean. So anyway, I sat next to this woman and I... I said, she gets up and she goes to the back and she buys, she buys this course. And it was a, the business template to make your business worth 10 million. Uh, in eight months it was. And I said, I said, what do you do? And she goes, I'm a VA. So what do you charge? She goes, I'm charged 20 quid an hour. And I went, how many hours do you work? She said, well, you know, it depends. Some days, 10, 10 hours. Some days when I've got the kids, it's like three hours. I went, how are you going to earn like 10 million? <laughs> Just... I said, like, you're going to need like 200 VAs. I said, like, have you ever managed a team or outsourced? No. I said, do you think this course is actually going to help you? you? Oh, no, but he said, like, you know, you'd have some doubts. And, and it was like she was brainwashed. Yeah, yeah. But when you're talking to them with logic, they still don't get it. So, And that was what made me decide I'm going to document this. And because this guy said, I'm going to make you an offer that I never offer anybody else, this is the last chance and the last time I'm ever going to say this. I then decided to follow this guy around the country and go to all his events. And some of the stuff I saw was mad. So there'd be people still standing up in the audience. Um, oh, I want to sign up. And they'd run to the back of the room first and, or they'd jump on stage or whatever. I started seeing the same people at every event doing that. So there's plants in the audience pretending that they're excited customers. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, I mean, I've watched a lot of your videos, so I, I, I promise. But I, I didn't know that part. Yeah, mad. So, so I was seeing the same six people get up, pretend to be excited yeah. people in the audience and the crowd. And I thought, this needs to be exposed. And because... We could make content. Part of the sale was I wasn't allowed to do anything in um, online learning or online training for two years. It was just a way to do something, A, to keep me active and not go and blow it all on hookers and drugs. <laughs> and and B, like to keep my brain ticking over. I, I didn't I didn't start that with, uh, there's the end in mind at all. This was literally just a, there doesn't seem to be content out there. There's loads of content out there for if you want to grow your business, scale your business and whatever, all these different things but there doesn't seem to be much on what actually happens if you achieve that actual dream or the actual goal. There doesn't seem to be any content for that. And when I was researching stuff, people were either saying that everything's a scam or it's the best thing ever. I was earning uh, six figures in 90 days. Nine times out of 10, there's something to do with the person. Yeah, they're a plant as well. as well, yeah. So I thought I know how to run a business, I know how to scale a business now, I know how to make money and I've got time on my hands. I'm going to buy these courses and actually do exactly what the guru says, but record my journey and what I find. And I'll just report them as like an unbiased review because I think, and I'm not saying I'm the smartest person in the world. I'm not by a long way, but I think I know about the work ethic that's involved to do something proper. And I understand like business principles of run a business and stuff. If anyone's going to succeed at this drop shipping from China and all this kind of stuff or fulfill uh, FBA, Amazon FBA, it's probably me because I've actually run a business. So I thought like I'm a good yardstick to see whether this thing is right or wrong. And that's how it started. I just started to buy these people's courses and go to all their events and just started recording my journey. Did you ever see it turn into what it has become? So like going from zero to 80,000 subscribers. But one thing that I think when I look at your YouTube channel is how much it's physically cost you. So like just in production and then the investments that you've made in the oh, it's risks. it's cost a bomb, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've not made the money back on that YouTube channel. 
I, no, I totally believe that. Oh, yeah. People but don't because, realize how expensive. Because stupidly, and like I was saying about the the blank book thing, I could just go. Guess what? Ty Lopez isn't gonna make me a hundred grand in three months. Here's my opinion yeah. and review. But that is all it is. Anyone can sit in the mum's spare bedroom and take pop shots at people and stuff like that. And when I first started, that was the criticism that was leveled at me because I never mentioned my real business at all. Yeah. Sometimes I regret it now because the amount of hassle that's brought anyway, um, it's been a bit of a nightmare, but I was saying, no, no, like I'm saying this from a, a person that could easily be on that stage. I could be selling my, follow my 60 step guide to selling your business for 8 million in two and a half years. The only difference is I've actually fucking done, done it. Yeah. Unlike a lot of these courses where they're saying how to make a million pounds from your podcast when they've got like 10 downloads. Do you know what I mean? They, they're just good at marketing, right? <laughs> But there's people that sell like I was ready to sign up for the course and I was like, is this a real course? (laughs) (laughs) No, but there is, there is like Steve Bartlett. He's he's done a million quid in his podcast. Listen to him. But I know people that are selling a podcast course that have literally, they've not even had 10,000 listens. So they ain't making 10 grand a month from the podcast. Like, and this, this was the difference. So I could have easily have been on that stage, but, and this is the horrible thing to any of your listeners that are thinking, well, you know, I could copy that business or do whatever. I could take you two now and say, come and sit in my office and I will teach you day by day everything that we did to make that eight million pound business. But what you can't replicate and many entrepreneurs or business owners or successful people don't like to admit it, but it's hard work, it's graft. Luck is also a part of the success model. I saw you tweet that the other day and I've never agreed with anything more you know, yeah. you get that on that just to give you the, the YouTube kind of color of it. You get that all the time. Nobody, very few people on YouTube are prepared to say, yeah, okay, I, I worked really hard, but I was really lucky. Like I would attribute yeah. 50% of what, at least 50% to just, just yeah. look, you know, the look of the, the draw. You know why though? Because if I say this, I'm like this, you know, I'm like this uh, demigod now of the business world. If I say, oh, but a bit of luck also helps, that takes away from my brilliance. And yeah. you know, and my ego doesn't want that. Like, yeah, yeah. I've done all this and I'm amazing at business. No, like what happens is I think everybody gets the same amount of luck in life. Now, bear with me on this and it sounds a bit mad, right? <laughs> sounds a bit Molly made, doesn't it? Everyone gets the same <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. But there is some truth in what she was saying. No, but, but what I think is how much work and graft you've put in to that certain point means that when your bit of luck happens, it means how you can capitalize on it. And I'll give an example. Say it's a local band. You're a local band. You don't really promote yourself much on Facebook or Instagram or you don't really put much on social media or go around and trying to get signed all the time. There might be a pub or a bar locally and their band drops out and they quickly jump on Facebook and they find you. And then you've now got a gig there and you're filling in and you've made an extra 150 quid that week to play. You're buzzing. But if you'd put all that hard work in and you know, you, you know, you, you're shooting your demo everywhere and you're going and doing loads and loads of gigs and you're traveling all over there might be a band that falls out at a festival. And then because they know you, because you've put the graft in and you're a little bit further along your journey, you've had the same amount of luck, a band's dropped out, but because you've put the hard work in beforehand, you're now on a certain stage at a festival. So that's what I mean about, and that's what it is. And so that's why I feel uncomfortable selling a business course as a step-by-step how to create the perfect business to get a 10 million pound exit or an 8 million pound exit. It's that bit I've got a problem with because... I can't replicate the same market conditions. So why would I sell a product with a sort of headline guarantee that 
there's absolutely no way I can guarantee that thing. And that yeah. was the thing I, I felt is, is I reckon, I reckon if I did the same journey again, I couldn't get the same results. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, I, you'll feel the same about your YouTube I'm, channel. I'm one, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel I'm 100% certain of the fact that if I started YouTube today, I wouldn't be anywhere near, I wouldn't be able to do what I've done you now. You do things differently. And who knows, you might be successful in a different way or you might try something else. But, but when you're hard working and you try lots of things, you might be successful in a slightly different field. You will become successful, but I couldn't replicate the same thing. And that's what used to frustrate me about any of these business gurus. You're not accounting for luck market conditions and stuff like that. We were lucky that there was somebody in the world that at that time was acquiring businesses like ours because it fit what they were trying to do. We were one of 13 acquisitions they did in two years. Like we could work, we could have had the same business now and we could run it for five years and there might not be another business that was doing that at the same time that allowed us to do that thing. Sure, we did lots of the right things, getting on so many people's radar, partnering with the right people, um, trying to take clients away from other people. We've got our name out there, we market ourselves well. We we had a good business that worked regardless of if that thing happened yeah. and enough money to, we pay ourselves 10 grand a month at the end of that business, mainly to backdate for all the time. We didn't take money for the first like one and a half years basically, but that's the thing. And none of these gurus would account for luck and that's what used to do my head in. Don't you think a lot of people don't want to hear that though as well? You know, like when you think about the people that would buy the Get Rich Quick Scream or, or the course yeah, or whatever. you could do all these things just for the chance that you might actually succeed. Yeah, no one wants to do that. But I tell you what, if you work hard, you'll be further along than if you don't work hard. And I think, but most people want that shortcut and that's why so many of these people sell so many of these courses. That's why people buy scratch cards. Man, I was in the shop the other day, I know it's not the same thing, but they charge, like, I thought scratch cards were like a quid. I went to the shop the other day, there's a guy buying a scratch card for seven quid. Yeah. I thought, what the fuck he did? Like, I mean, because he thinks he's going like, yeah, yeah, yeah. to... I bet if you invest... I if you inv- I don't know how many he's bought of them, but if you invested that £7 into something every month, you will make far more money with that 7 quid over... There's you'd be, a, you'd be better you putting 7 quid into some aim, dodgy aim stock, you know, like some some proper booted... There's a book called... Thing. There's a book called uh, The Philosophy of Money. Have you have you heard of it? Uh, and it talks about... Um, it's, it's an American book, but it talks about those that buy scratch cards or buy lottery tickets, and it's the lowest income people. It's because it's similar to what you just said, actually. The distance between super low income, almost poverty line, to... I guess where like, you know, successful or exited a business and they've got substantial amount of cash. That gap is so like, that's such a distance to travel that luck seems to be the only attributing factor that could get them there. So they buy the most lottery tickets. Um, But what you just said then about uh, luck and and obviously hard work, that's something that resonated with what you've said to me in the past. Yeah. You're saying a lot of luck's been involved in what you do, but like I've known you for many years now, you're, horrendously consistent and horrendously determined to you know you don't miss uploads but, twice a week like you, you you train and you like you do the you, you put in the work for yeah, for I think years it's, it's like i think it's, it's like mike said at the very start of his story if it's your own thing like my dad always used to say i was lazy i said no nah, I'm, I'm lazy at things i don't care about yeah so if i was working at the bank or whatever but if you care about something you prepare to put in more more time and if it is your own thing and it's your own effort which pays the bills or not, you can, you have to make a success of it, don't you? And like Max says, if you if you do that long enough, when that moment of kind of luck, yeah, or when it's, it's your moment to cash in your luck, then you're you're further along that journey, and you've got a yeah. bigger you, you get a bigger reward from that luck. But um, yeah, I had something really decent to say. Then I was waiting for you to stop. Oh man, I'm sorry. No, no, it's all right. Oh shit, um, 
ruined it by what they admit some daft joke. But yeah, it's like, no, but it is, it's, it, is, it is such an important part that a lot of people don't like to admit, I believe. It's true. The, um, on, on the going to the uh, different seminars and things, so obviously you met Gary Vee at a seminar. So yeah. how did that story go? Because obviously you, went, you flew out to New York to see him, didn't you? So he's an interesting one, Gary, because he... Vaynerchuk, right? Gary Vee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll make sure talking about the same person. Yeah, so Gary Vee. <laughs> Um, interesting guy. So I wouldn't necessarily say he's a entrepreneur because at that time he wasn't selling a course and promising you that if you did this course, you would be a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever bullshit they say. But, and this is where my problem with him is he talks at the same events as these people and he's always the headline act. So he is the reason 99% of the people in that audience have turned up to that event because a lot of these people want to hear Gary Vee, right? Or whoever it might be. They have to pay him to turn up. So he doesn't have to stand on stage flogging stuff because he's getting paid. Now, every other speaker below him, they're sort of like the scum of the earth or the entrepreneurs, <laughs> as I call them. A lot of them pay to be on that stage. Oh, yeah. And they're on a revenue split. So that's like you've got an event now and I have to pay you five grand to go on there. So I know I'm now on there making out as if I've been selected and I'm a leader in my field. They're not asked. You've been paid five grand for me to be there. Then I give my pitch and my, I would turn my life around and, you can be the same as me if you just go to the back and buy my course for one nine nine seven. Same form every single time. Twenty people get up, go to the back, buy a two grand course. That those organisers and it was a lot of it was success resources, but there's loads of different ones, loads of property ones, whatever. They then split that revenue with that person, so they make money from entrepreneurs to pay Gary to be there. They're like the godfather then. They're kind of like they're, they're not doing the yeah, dirty work, but exactly, they're on the, they're on the exactly. Con. Yeah. So they're the people that bring in. Like basically the audience to be fleeced. And that's my kind of problem with Gary V. But then while I was there, so long story short, I was writing a book. So originally the entrepreneur was going to be my year as a entrepreneur. So I was online on LinkedIn. I had changed myself to the UK's number one demotivational speaker. And all I would do is parody Guru's posts, but like with like the anti message or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So they'd be like, they always post the same good advice, legit advice, but it's always like airy fairy sort of like business ideas. Like, oh, you just need to do this. But it'd be like, um, why don't we support women every day of the year instead of on like, you know, women day or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's pride month. And I used to take the piss out of those because it's so obviously forced. Like, do you know what? Just be nice to women every day. Like you don't have to make a big thing about it anyway. So I used to do all these posts or whatever. And weirdly, a couple of them had been picked up and been, um, read out on Radio X. I don't know if you've heard of Radio yeah. X. But I was on Radio X. Is that the one with Chris Miles? Chris Miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on it. So it wasn't that fun. I'm just saying. Okay, I got excited then. Sorry. Uh, that's um, <laughs> that's Ben's favourite DJ. Isn't it? I Chris was on Miles. Radio X. He's from Blaze, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've been sarcastic. You know no, no, what? it is. That yeah, is. I was allowed to talk, but I used to. Ah, there you go. Right. Radio One Mainstream. I don't listen to radio anyway. You've been you replaced. <laughs> Sorry, you've been replaced, Chris. Uh, Greg James is the new man of the hour. But so so. I created uh, the Mike Winnick character because part of the sale was they held back 1.2 million of the money, right? And if I did or said anything for the next 12 months that damaged the brand, they'd keep the money. So basically, I would do all these posts thinking I was being funny, almost like being like the anti-business boss, the anti-guru. I was getting millions of views and I was my audience just like went through the roof because British people got it. Americans didn't. And that was funny seeing Americans thinking like, this guy's the worst boss in the world. You know, like, <laughs> shit, like, give me loads of shit. That then 
people would send in um, to radio stations like the worst posts you've seen on social media. So my parody posts, because they were so similar to the actual, the real shit that people put out, made it onto Radio X and they read out my stories and stuff like that. Like, and I remember doing one, this was the one that actually got read out on Radio X where I was saying about, um, you should put work first because the more money you earn, like forget about your kids and your family or whatever, because if you earn enough money, you can buy their love later on in life. And let's be honest, no one remembers the first six birthdays and Christmases, right? So that was my post. And this is the maddest thing ever. So I wrote this story about how I sent my PA, Beth Lehem was her name, right? To go to my kids, to go to my kids nativity and Skype me from there because I had a, a meeting with like a blue chip client that I've been working on for months. So I did this long post and someone's gone and sent this into the radio station. This is the worst boss in the UK. So I was like getting like attention for this type of shit. And all I was doing is taking the piss. I set up a website that said I would do demotivational talks all over the UK with like a sold out tour date. None of it was real. And the maddest thing happened, which was people said they'd been to my events and they'd been inspired by me. And I was like, you serious about business? But none of them happened. It was like all made up. I was just doing it because I was fucking bored at home. I couldn't get a job on a estate agent, so I was doing this for a laugh. Yeah, what do you do when you've got two million quid in yeah. bank? This is it. Yeah, so so I just became a parody business guru. But then, like the the real UK's number one motivational speaker was like, I think this is taking the piss out of me. So I started to create like a sort of enemy, or of, and I was taking the piss out of him. So uh, that's how it kind of like went. I I, I got my audience. I can't remember. What I started. I wrote about how you got to Gary V's office. Ah, uh, but- yeah. So so then I went to this Gary V's event to take some pictures as if I'd been talking at this event was like the whole concept. But then because I was sat there and I saw this happen, I never knew when Gary B was going to be on. So I had to sit through two days of people selling their bullshit. So I went there and my idea was, I was just going to be my life as a entrepreneur. So it was like getting the best selling book and like doing all these things that they do to almost expose the process that they follow. Um, and all I went to that event for was I was going to ask Gary if he'd give me a forward for his book, for my book. And it was going to be my life as a entrepreneur. So I had the word. I just hadn't assigned it to that type of thing yet. Anyway, but this bad business boss was based on people that I'd worked with and my old bosses. So I would actually write real things that happened to me or I'd seen in business and make it quite funny. And some people would be like, I know who you're talking it was a joke for my mates that had worked at different places. Like, I don't know who that's about or whatever. So it's like, I was like the amalgamation of like three or four people. Um, and people didn't realize that Mike, when it was a character, especially when it grew arms and legs, like you said, when you break out of your usual audience, that's when people thought I was a real person. Yeah, so yeah. people were like booking me as Mike Winnett for things. So I did my first ever podcast um, and the guy didn't know that Mike Winnett wasn't a real person. They thought Mike Winnett was a real person. I was the UK's number one team. So I did my first ever podcast pretending to be a demotivational speaker on my like nationwide tour. And I felt bad because I thought like, is, is, he, is he in on the joke or when do I... Does he know? Does he know? Uh, yeah, so I, I did my first one. And then I, at the end, I was like, you do realize that like, like when it's a character, like a, oh no, mate. And I felt really bad. So then I was like, <laughs> so I just fucking roll with it. But um, yeah, so my whole plan was um, ask Gary V for a forward for my book. And I thought he would say, I don't fucking know you. And that was going to be the forward from a book. It's like forward from Gary V and it was going to be, I don't even know who you fucking are. And that was going to be it. It was a, a joke and it, it was a two grand joke because I had to pay 800 quid to get, to ask Gary V a question. I had to pay 800 quid to sit at the front and then ask a question. And then I had to pay for hotels. I had Ian in the 
cheap seats, like filming and stuff <laughs> like that. So we had this all planned and it was all for this one moment. And that's when we came up with the Contrapreneur Forum and we thought, oh, we're going to make this. Anyway, but on the Gary V thing, and I've got a video about uh, meeting Gary Vee. Um, I'm queuing to ask him a question and uh, a girl, two in front of me or three in front of me, you can see it on the video, that on, on my YouTube video, she then asked Gary V my fucking question. Hey, Gary, I've just wrote a book. Can I get a forward from my book? And I thought, what the fuck? <laughs> like I've waited two days, I've spent two grand for this one moment and she stole my fucking thunder. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought, shit, what am I going to do? And I'm like, shit myself. I'm like looking up at Ian, like, what, what the hell am I going to do here? Like the whole big Gary Vee moment where he's going to go, fuck off, no. He said the same things. So we're like, I don't even know. You're going to romance the girl? And um, so I thought, shit, what am I going to do? And I was like, I panicked. And then I had to go on stage to meet him. But that, so they actually cut me off. Like they cut us off in front and go, sorry, you're not allowed to ask a question. I thought, 800 quid, I'm not even going to ask my question. Been had off right here. But I was allowed to go up for my photo. And as I went up for my photo, I just went, which was true because at this point I felt lost when you take away someone's goal and what they're striving towards. You, it's mad because obviously your mates aren't working. You can't say something. Oh, I feel a bit down today, mate. Oh, not on the money you've got. You know, that's yeah, the usual. Yeah. Like, and then if anyone mentions anything money wise to you, you're thinking, are they asking me for money or am I bad now? Cause I'm thinking they're asking me for money and they're not. It's a normal conversation. A bit weird. You must get it sometimes with like your YouTube because you're rolling it. Right, with I'm, I'm not that rich now. Yeah. <laughs> no, People just think that cause it's a Tesla. Look at me. Yeah. I don't dress like a rich person. Uh, Come hey, tattoos like you. Hey, the richest people don't dress like rich people, do they? <laughs> you know? Hey, that's fact. Yeah. So what, what So what happened then when you stepped on stage with Gary? Then? I just thought, shit, man, I've got nothing to say to him. I've got five seconds with him. I'm going to shoot my shot. And at that moment, I just said, Gary, proper mad one. Um, I sold my did you say? Sorry, do you say it that way? You say proper mad one? Yeah, I, I was like, oh, he's an American Gary, guy. like, proper mad one. I said, like, I sold my business two years ago for eight million. He was like, yeah. So what are you doing here? Legit said that. Like literally, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing here? Right? He goes, really? I go, yeah. And I said, and I've never felt so down, empty and depressed at any point in my life. Like this is like the worst I've felt. And he goes, that's because you've lost your purpose, man. Um, and then the guy's gone, because you're allowed like your photo with him. And the guy's gone like, come away. And Gary, uh, Gary goes, um, I want to know more about your business. He goes, so DM me on Instagram. And I was like, you sure? I said, like, if I sent, I said, I could send it to you and you won't, you'll ignore me. And he's like, no, no, just like send me a DM and I'll get, I'll get back to you. I was like, sound. So I walked off the stage and then I just said to Ian, I just said, DM him at that time. So I sent him a, a DM on Instagram, if you can ignore it. I sent him, a, <laughs> sent him a DM again, like two weeks later. And then what I couldn't get through to him. So then what I did was I went on to LinkedIn and it's a little tip for you if you're in sales. I went and found everybody that worked around Gary in the organization added them all on LinkedIn, sent them all a message saying, blah, 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 blah. And then one morning, I saw not had anything off him for like maybe four or five weeks. Couldn't sleep. And like four in the morning, I was just on, on the toilet going for shit. <laughs> and I, I text, uh, I just went online and I found Gary V's email. And it was like, Gary at Gary VaynerMedia, whatever it was. And I just messaged him saying like, ah, oh, I'm that guy that you met in Success Resort. You probably don't remember you. Sold my business for 8 million. Proper depressed. He said to get in touch with you. And I'm not joking. After I wash my hands, flush the <laughs> toilet. Um, email reply. Copied in two of the people that I'd, I followed on LinkedIn that said, I like this guy. Get him over to the, get him over to New York. So we had a date all booked in, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he cancelled. Like a day before. And I was like, I live in Warrington, mate. I ain't just <laughs> passing like New York. What a bastard. Yeah. 
so then um, I was like kind of like fuming. And then he said, like, we'll rearrange it. And then I got invited to go in and go see him like in the February. So flew over, never been to New York before. I got food poisoning like just before the flight. So I literally stayed in my hotel room for two nights and I did that one hour meeting with Gary V and in the studio, like two hours we spent there um, and didn't see any New York at all. Everyone else went out and had a nice time, like, but I didn't see any of it. I think it's overrated anyway, New York. Uh, well, thanks. I hope it is. What was it like meeting him then? You know, like mad setup. I mean, he's clever. Walked into a big building. It's like almost like this is bearing in mind. You can see the Empire State Building from his office window. So it's, um, I don't know how many floors up it is, but L'Oreal's in the same building. There's only two businesses in there. And we turn up and there's like just, a, uh, what you call it, escalator at the far end, like a little reception there. But it's like, there should be more stuff in it. This is like a, a wasted space. The amount of Christmas cost. <laughs> I'm there thinking like, no, what a waste of money here. Walked in. I said, um, I said, are you here to see Gary V? I was like, yeah, how would you know? They went, because you've got a camera, you've got a camera crew with you. So we had like a couple of lads filming. And they go, anyone that walks in with the camera is going to see Vayner. So uh, they said like uh, 26th floor, went in from 26th floor, turned up there. And wait, 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 there were only two businesses in the whole building. Because L'Oreal's there. So what, they take up 25 floors? Mad. A mad. fucking hair company. I don't know. There's some, some racket going on there. Somebody needs to investigate yeah. those rooms. Anyway, sorry, Mike. <laughs> so, so, I've gone up, so I've gone up and I'm notorious for, if I don't feel like doing things, I won't do them. I feel, you, I feel you on that. And I, I'm sat there. That's you, isn't it? You're yeah. sitting at this podcast right now. No, I'm joking. No, and it can be for any reason as well. Like I could just go, no, nah, I don't like them. We're not doing it. And Ian's like, sometimes Ian will be to me, oh, but Mike, they want, you know, they want us to do a piece of business for, and I was like, nah, I, nah, we're not doing it. And he'll be like, are you sure? And he kind of trusts my judgment, but there doesn't have to be any rhyme or reason. If I don't feel some, or there's something there, I don't do it. So I'm like, nah, something not right about it. It's not doing it. Anyway, I'm sat there, probably the food poisoning. And Ian's looking at me and he goes, not now. Please not now. Because I can see Gary's in a room like talking to people and he films everything. Anyway, I was like, I'm not feeling this, mate. Please, mate, we've traveled like, it's been cancelled once, we're in New York. But what you need to remember is Gary V to me is just another business person. At at no point have I ever been a fan of Gary V. He's just somebody that I only knew, I only found out who he was like six months before the you know what, in this world or whatever. So same with Ty Lopez, Grant Cardone. If someone goes, oh, that's Grant Cardone. I'd be like, oh, he runs a business. Oh yeah, a business owner. He speaks to loads of them. So like I wasn't, Gary B to me was just a guy that talks about business. So I was like, and Ian, Ian was proper giddy because Ian was like a Gary V fan. And if you listen to, if you watch the video on my YouTube channel where I met Gary V, Ian's like, whatever Gary says, he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian's <laughs> getting stuff here. So proper take the piss out of him. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, and he says something, because I used to hate the word entrepreneur. I used to think, if you called yourself an entrepreneur, like, no, tell me what business you run. Like, if I said to you, like, what do you do? You wouldn't go, I'm an entrepreneur. You'd say, get your media. Like, oh, nah, I'm a podcast entre- Entrepreneurs in your Twitter bio, I've seen it. Is nah, it? I fuck. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Change that before this comes out. I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> but now, like, you know, as you get older, you like change. But at that point, because it was wanky, because everyone was calling themselves an entrepreneur, it's like, no, just tell me what you actually do for a business, not just, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur. So, um, and he said something in that meeting, he goes like, Gary V goes to me like, you're a proper entrepreneur, aren't you? And I just look at him, do not react. Cause I know I've been fucking panning that word for like months. If I go, yeah, <laughs> so I was just like, 
just staring at him. And he's like, yeah, he is. He is. So he, he answers loads of the questions for me. Um, but yeah, so I went there and I was sat in the sort of reception. It's quite big or whatever. And there's like four or five people waiting around. Giddy as fuck. So glad that they're there. It's like, oh, what are you here for? Like, what, what are you doing? Oh, we've um, paid to have a, they called the, they called 4D. Yeah. I, I don't, know what, it, I don't yeah. know what it is like, but it's called the 4D. And um, basically you pay 15 grand to have a 10 minute meeting with Gary V. It's mad. And he has all the offices set up. And then you pitch or you talk to him about whatever you want to talk about. You pay 15 grand to be there. You get 10 minutes of his time. He records it. He tries to give a sound bite of sort of nonsensical business advice. You know, just post more shit. That's yeah. it, boom. And then that's, his, that's <laughs> him done. And then he cracks on. But this is where he's smart. If you pitch a fucking brilliant idea to, idea to him, he goes, brilliant idea. Why don't we help you? I want to get involved. And then he either invests in that business or he goes, well, I'll give you 15 grand or 20 grand and I'll take 10% and we'll take over your social media. So he's kind of getting in there. And this is why you can't knock the guy for how smart he is. You've paid to pitch your fucking idea to me. If it's a good idea, I'm going to buy in, support you and you can go run. And he's kind of got the next generations of entrepreneurs, yeah. 18, 19, 20 year olds, early doors. So he was in the room when, uh, was it Uber was made and stuff like that? So he's getting all these ideas like put to him. If your business is shit, he goes, great idea. I wish you all the luck with that. And then they get the pictures with Gary V and they get the social media bit, which is the only thing they were turning up for anyway. Yeah. So they're happy regardless. And that's what he does. So I was like, 15 grand to pitch your business idea to someone and them to go, sound, I'm now going to take a percentage of your company and help you. Like fair play to the guy. He's, he's basically, and that's why... He's on TikTok and he's on all these sort of social media platforms. He's realized while his peers want to be like, I want to be like Richard Branson and I want to be like these people. That's the generation. They're dead now in business. Yeah. Like no one wants to be these people anymore. The next generation of entrepreneurs, the 15, 16, 17 year olds have grown up on Gary Vee. So he is the Richard Branson. So like my generation, Richard Branson's that guy. But yeah. to, to this generation of business people, Gary Vee's that guy because he has been the person that they go to or seen or listen to and sound bites from. Anyway, so they've all gone in. I've gone in and there's two ways we could have shot this video. We could either put out the anti Gary V version or the pro Gary V version. He was not interested, but he didn't really know why we were there at this point. Cause to him, we're just one of 10 meetings he's done. Who's this? Oh, it's the, the you know, they won the 4d is what they called it. Like, what are you here for? I said, oh, remember we met at this thing. I went to this event. The video is on YouTube if you want to watch it, but explain to him what we do. He's not interested, really. He's just like, yeah, yeah. And then his soundbite was, that's because you're an entrepreneur. You are uh, you love the chaos of startups. You're a thoroughbred and all that bullshit. I'm like looking at him. He's like, yeah, because we are. That's what we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and um, the mad thing about it was uh, Ian said something in that meeting. And then after Gary V left, he actually tweeted that out as his line. So that was the first time we ever had like an idea of ours fucking stole by Gary V. Anyway, and then when I said, I've been recording something called the Contrepreneur Formula, it's where I go around to people's speaking events and expose the unethical marketing and sales tactics that they use. And he was like, I said, and it, I actually went to one of your events to film. And then he was just like, but you watch his body language, body language, uh, and... Oh, and 
uh, what were the what were the audience like when I spoke? Did they don't think I'm one of those guys, do they? And he was proper on edge then because he's probably now thinking, are you filming this now? If you stitch me up, you know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's what the fucking twenty seventh floor is for, so we can throw you down yeah. when shit like that yeah, happens yeah. straight down the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> right, and this is why I don't really like the guy. So anyway, long story short, he says, I want to put you in front of a big audience. This is a brilliant idea, brilliant concept. Um, I can help you get into Netflix. I've got a contact there. Like, I'm going to help you. So I was like, yes, sound. Anyway, he then he goes, but Netflix wants an enemy. So there needs to be, it needs to be about someone. And I was like, no, I want to teach people the formula and the actual what to look out for rather than one scapegoat. Because if I said, Ty Lopez is the contributor. Let's say it's him, right? And then any course that isn't sold by Ty Lopez using exactly the same techniques. No, you'd think, oh, but it's not Ty Lopez. Yeah. So these must be legit. I'd rather teach, you know, teach a man how to fish. He lives for a lifetime. Give a man a fish, you know, he eats for a day. You know, that it was that sort of concept. So I was like, no, I just want to teach people how it works so they can apply it to anybody. So they don't have to go, is this guy one? It's just go, does it follow this formula? He probably is. Like, that's it. Leave, give them the education, let them make their own mind up. He was like, no, no, it needs to be about someone. Who's the worst person you've seen? And I said, well, I didn't name them in the video. I'm not going to name them here, like on camera. So he goes, cut the cameras. So we cut the cameras, stop filming. And Gary said, who was the worst person? And I told him and he was absolutely bouncing off the walls. He was like, yes, he's one of the worst. He gives our industry a bad name. Um, it needs to be about him. Like it needs to be about him. Like, And he, he was all for it then, right? Anyway. This is why I don't respect Gary Vee. Number one, he never introduced us to Netflix. But number two, about three months after our meeting, the person who he said, who I told him was the worst person, and he agreed with and said he was the worst in the industry, give the industry a bad name, he, he couldn't stand the guy. There was a picture of them two together in his office and they were doing some joint content and they were doing something together. And that's why I kind of lost all respect for Gary. Yeah. And I also said, like... I don't think you get it because you're the magnet for these people to sell. So while you aren't one, you are, you give them the opportunity for them to thrive. Facilitate it. Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not. And it's the same thing. It's like, you know, you know, you import drugs or whatever. You're not selling drugs on the corner, but you are the ones that are, do you know what I mean? It's like. Facilitate the sale of drugs. Yeah. yeah correct. So. So what happened with Netflix then after speaking to Gary? Yeah. So Gary obviously promised us that he was going to introduce us. He didn't. And that's how come now every so often. When Gary V like does his tweets or whatever, I always say like, "Oh, Gary, when are you going to introduce his Netflix?" I was like, "Just become a bit of a running joke." But um, so the mad thing happened was about a year later, eighteen months later, um, a production company got in touch, and it's so weird. They'd been in Adam, they were over in the UK from America, and then had a meeting with Pablo Escobar's son. Um, to talk to him about his story. And apparently he wanted like two million pounds or two million dollars, whatever it was, to tell his story and wanted to know um how much he was gonna get paid for this thing. Weirdly, I think it turned out later on, and this is only recently, like last six months, there's now people are unsure if he really is Pablo Escobar's son. So there's a guy <laughs> pretending to be Pablo Escobar's son going around <laughs> trying to get two million pound production deals. That's <laughs> a good, that's a good grift. Son. Like yeah. Was, he's yeah. Um Anyway, so they went from meeting Pablo Escobar's son talking about two million pound deals to coming to meet me in Warrington. <laughs> and I was like, this must be like the biggest letdown ever. Like, like, just working in an office, mate. Like, what do you want to talk about? Anyway, and their idea was they wanted to do the Mike Winnick character, almost like the Ali G of business or like the Borat of business yeah. type 
in America, six part series. And I would be going to like the 10X event with Grant Cardone, but then asking people really sensible questions like, oh, so you're going to 10X your business. What's your business called? What does it do? And nine times I said, no, I've not got a business. And it's almost like, take the piss out of them by being, because I we used to deliver everything straight faced and it was very like, you don't know if I'm taking the piss or not. Basically take the piss out of Americans wearing 10X hats and then do stunts like get a billboard opposite it, which will be the 11X conference. And I would then like advertise <laughs> and I, it's one better than theirs. Like, you know, just do naughty shit like that. And that was the idea, but I didn't want to leave Warrington. Like I was like, how long would I need to be in America for? Roughly we can do it over six weeks. I was like, I don't like, I don't want, I remember I said like, I don't want, I don't, if I don't want to do something, yeah, I just yeah. don't do it. And everyone's like, and they said, you've not even asked us about money, how much money's involved. I said, it's not really the money. It's I don't want to be away for six weeks and I've got young kids and stuff. Anyway, so that didn't suit what I wanted to do. And then I got um, a call saying, we're really interested in doing an episode on get rich quick schemes, exposing stuff. And we've seen loads of your content. But by this point, some of my content's been used by the BBC to talk about it. It's been used in the Telegraph, the Times. It's weird. What I didn't realize at the time was I just made the entrepreneur formula. And it was probably like I was told you about like James Jarney and CoffeeZilla and those types of channels. They've kind of taken it onto a, a next level. I just made a piece of work and had no idea of the impact it would have on my own life, but also other people's contents. And now there's even like proper academic breakdowns of my work online by like marketing companies and entrepreneurs now under entrepreneur form is like a commonly used term in that industry it's mad that i know it's a, a strange thing i was successful in business yeah i've kind of had a success in youtube to a certain degree not like millions of followers and stuff but the impact of some of my content a lot of entrepreneurs now don't end their price in a seven because that's a commonly used thing as like a piss take because of my work so i'd get tagged in or people would tag my content on loads of people's sales pitches and marketers. And that's when they started trying to come to me. And that's like the hassle I got afterwards. But Netflix come in touch. So we've seen your content. We'd love to turn this into a into a series. Are you in? So I thought, fucking brilliant. I can do this Netflix thing without Gary now. Sound. Yes. By the way, Gary said to me at the time, off camera, uh, yeah, we can do this together as a co-pro, co-produce, um, if you pay $25,000. And I was like, what? I'm not paying you. I'm doing this anyway. I don't need to pay you to make this happen. <laughs> like, and he's like, oh, oh, right. I was only joking. It was just to test to see if you're legit and see how much your heart's in this and if you're doing it for the right reasons. I just thought, no, you don't. And then he said to me, um, we do need an enemy and we need like one person for it to be about. And as long as I come across as the good guy, I'm willing to help you. But, but I think because I wasn't asked, I wasn't falling over myself to work with Gary because like I said, I wasn't yeah. a fan of him, didn't know him. I don't think he re and also I was probably in a more affluent position than a lot of the people that walk into yeah. his office and have that meeting and just want to, Oh Gary, I'll sign over 60% of my idea to you for whatever. I don't, uh, same thing. And he never got back in touch. He'll have his own reasons why, but also who the fuck am I to him? Like I'm just a guy from Warrington that's had a 50 minute meeting with him. He doesn't owe me anything. So I'm not bitter. It's like, and also fair play. If you can get paid 15 grand for those meetings. You know what I mean? He kind of yeah, got to respect yeah. that. He's got a thousand people that work for him over multiple floors in that studio. The guy's a legit businessman, but Netflix then said to me, we like your idea. I did two Skype calls with him probably for like two hours, broke down everything that I did. And I, I spoke to this and I looked at this and I got this expert to tell me about this. And this is the entrepreneurs that you need to be looking at. This is the worst person. Da, 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 da. Like brilliant. We really love it. 
um, can we come and film at your studio? So we went and got the, you know, the, you've seen the background, the red entrepreneur yeah. wall. Yeah. We got street artists in, um, David Speed, um, really good guy from uh, down in Shoreditch. He came up, did all the wall for me. Um, cause we thought that was going to be the backdrop for the Netflix thing that we filmed. And then they sent some paperwork over and I signed the paperwork, which gave them permission to use some of my ideas, some of my pre-existing content that I already made, some of the content I've got on YouTube and, um, basically signed away my rights. It sounds mad now, like, but at the time you're signing a waiver because why wouldn't you use my content if we're going, if we're talking about a video of mine, you might want to bring my video in, blah, blah, blah. So this was what they told me was going to happen. Um, I did two of those meetings, went through it all, pretty, pretty much did all the research for him. And then uh, two days before they actually, the filming was supposed to happen, they said, oh, we've took it to legal at Netflix and they want to completely change the direction. We can't do it how we want to do. So um, that's it. Sorry, we're going to have to put a pin in this. This idea isn't going to happen with you. Turns out when I spoke to CoffeeZilla about this thing, they did the same thing with him because he was obviously making similar content at the time. Really good channel to follow if you like that kind of thing. And six months later, there is a, a Netflix episode called Money Explained. I don't know if you've seen this. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, that's mine. That's mine. And the worst thing about it was, so I didn't know this episode came on and then my socials were just going like popping off saying, ah, Netflix has stole your idea. Netflix stole your idea. And then someone had screenshot the last frame, but it's worse as well. Cause on Netflix, the other cards to watch something else comes up. So you didn't forget to see it. It says special thanks to Mike Winnett and Ian Darlington. So they give me a special thanks on the fucking episode of mine. It's two years of my hard work, thousands of pounds invested time effort i've signed all the paperwork and i've not got a leg to stand on because i signed that paperwork saying that i would like waived my rights for those things so i got fucked over by netflix so when you think about considering i've done quite a few weird things like getting an amazon bestseller with a blank book's quite funny that like made national news in australia in america uh like if you google it like might win it blank book like loads of news reports come up uh managed to get into gary v's office and like have a meeting with him um obviously sell the business like do the youtube channel i've had a, a series uh, an episode stole by netflix i've had quite an unusual career couple, it could be a biopic about your life who, who would play you in a biopic you reckon idris elba <laughs> <laughs> you know what i was gonna say i was gonna say but you've got a slight look of mark what, ruffalo Mark Ruffalo's work. It'll probably be James Corden, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's a bit, Why did you laugh at it yourself, anyway? <laughs> no reason. I, I, didn't, I didn't laugh. No, exactly. I laughed. I just how fast you came back with the name. Do you obviously yeah. have that, like you you had that question that, before? Yeah, yeah, you've had that before. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, just on that, so obviously the the, the legal recourse, you've, you've, there's nothing you can do to pursue that production company or no, money explain. No, but also, and this is the thing with it, and this is why it's kind of pointless. What I had done, I'm good at building audiences. I've built over social media once over 200,000. Unfortunately, I've just lost 90,000 of them. But what I've actually done is grow an audience of skeptical people that think any online training's bad. Everybody's out to scam them. So I've kind and I didn't, I wasn't like building them for something. It wasn't yeah. like I was thinking I'm going to build this audience and then monetize sell it and it, sell yeah, them yeah. something. So it was weird. So all that kept happening now, I got to a certain level where I was a bit like an underground. My weekly bingo was quite popular on a Friday. I used to do them live. Like thousands of people would like watch it live and put in the comments and stuff. But then what happened was success resources banned me from all their events and threatened legal action. 
then they try to befriend me and say, we really like your content. You make really good content. What would it take for us to work with you? Which was mad. Like the people I'm saying are ripping you off now are offering me an opportunity to work with them. Pretty mad. Um, obviously I said no. Um, the money wasn't right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so, um, but my point was like, just watch my videos and I'm telling you what's wrong with your business. There's like free consultancy. Yeah. Like don't do these things. Like stop targeting the wrong people. Stop selling in this way. Blah, blah, blah. It's not fucking rocket science. So I had um, hassle with them. Then, you know, with a YouTube channel, I got copyright strikes. And if you have three copyright strikes, you lose your channel completely. I got some um, entrepreneurs that had asked for me to record content with them. And even come in and some face-to-face interviews with then two years later, we're claiming I didn't give him permission to post this and stuff like that. And then I get legal letters. So in December this year, um, so it just made me think that mirrored with, I'm actually, I'm a real business owner that does YouTube for something to do every now and then. We've gone through a global pandemic and stuff. A lot of these face-to-face events have closed down. It's all gone online. So I couldn't film as much content or any of the big stunts that I'd planned. I had a really good stunt planned that I'd paid four and a half grand to go to that's never happened and they won't give me a refund. It was the person that teaches the entrepreneur formula. I was going to go to his event where you learn the entrepreneur formula. And it's a two-day event. And part of that process is at the end, so you come up with your messaging and your bullshit backstory and your testimonials and all these different things as the formula breaks down. Um, you get to pitch to that audience. So imagine you've been in a, like a classroom for uh, two days and I was going to, and Jack was going to come with me. I was going to, I'd set up a fake Instagram and I was a videographer. And my name, sounds shit now, was called, um, was it Conrad? What, what, was, what was the name? Conrad Hunter. Conrad Hunter, right? So Conrad Hunter. So it was like, I was a videographer called Conrad Hunter. So my email was conhunter1997 at hotmail.com, right? <laughs> And it was like, so Conrad Hunter, so, and I'd say, hey, Con, and I, I'd always come to Conrad and I'd sign on to this course or whatever, paid four and a half grand and I was, we were due to one. And then the pandemic happened and, and the course never happened. And my actual stunt for this one was going to be, I was going to present the entrepreneur formula at the end as my actual, so here's my presentation I've been working on and pitch that to basically saying like, you're all cunts. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you're doing and you're using it in a horrible way to take money off vulnerable people. That was my idea. So all those events uh, didn't happen. So I'd spent loads of different money on that. I'd spent four and a half grand in legal fees, arguing something that basically, if I wanted to pursue it, I'd win. But it's just hassle. And it's hassle that I don't need because there's no financial or monetary or gain for it. And there's only so long you can do things to help people. Um, And that audience also became quite annoying in the sense when I'd, I'd get hundreds of DMs a week saying, hey, um, I've spent 21 grand on seven different entrepreneurs and none of their courses have worked. Like who's, who, who is a legit person I can listen to? Listen, mate, they're not the problems. Like, you're on your eighth entrepreneur now. The problem is you yeah. and business. This isn't for you. Just stop it. So I'd almost become, I almost disliked those super fans as much as I disliked the entrepreneurs towards the end and that's me- that's crazy. And it's like, you've sort of made a rod for your own Because back. you can't yeah. help them. And then if you don't answer them in 20 minutes. Uh, so I've got one guy from Boston that his nan had lost um, $6,000 on a entrepreneur's course or whatever. Then he's like going, hey, can you help my nan get her money back? 
And me being me, like, kind of taking the piss, I was like, yeah, mate, you know, of course I can. I know a lot about, like, the legal system in America, <laughs> blah, blah. Like, I said, I'm a guy from Warrington that makes YouTube videos. Like, how can I help your nan, who I don't know, get her money back? Just think about it logically. Um, and I ended up just saying to the people, if you're searching on Google for how can I make a million pounds in 90 days, if you're looking for that question, you are probably never going to achieve that goal. You're asking the wrong questions. So I can't help you people stop being fucking stupid and spending money with these people. Why would a stranger who you've never heard of before until you've searched that question is now following around the internet with like targeting ads? Why would they want to help you become a millionaire unless it lines their pockets? Just logic would say that. If I know how to make a million pounds a year from property in Warrington, like a lot of these business courses, uh, property courses, and I legit, that's where I make the majority of my income. Why would I tell a thousand people in a room for £27 each how to do it? I'm turning my customers into competitors. Yeah. No business in the world runs like that. It, 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 it just a, from a logical state. And so that with all the legal problems, the copyright strikes on the channel, and the fact that I had a real business that obviously during a global pandemic I had to work in to make sure that nothing happened with that and it didn't close was why I've not uploaded a video for eight months. That and the bum chin on every video. <laughs> <laughs> is there a, is there a, a thought, are you going to, are you going to bring it back to life? You're going to bring it. Yeah. Like, bing, the bingo series. The bingo. That's my favorite. Yeah. So they're the Motivated. ones. Motivated. <laughs> yeah. That's that, that video was, uh, was, was quite good. But yeah. So um, we're going to put those bingo videos back on now because all the copyright strikes have gone. They've actually had to, we had to remove all them. We've lost a couple of them where, this is what I realized. A lot of these entrepreneurs now speak at the same events and it felt like they had worked together because I got removed from LinkedIn. I got my Instagram hacked and deleted and then I got two copyright strikes and legal letters all in the space of like 10 days. And it felt like it was almost like a concentrated uh, attack on my work. And when you think I'm doing this just to sort of teach people in a humorous or entertaining way was like the main goal. You know, I would have loved to have wrote a comedy when I was little. So this was like a bit of an outlet for me to like sort of try and be an internet funny man. <laughs> and um, it wasn't worth the hassle. And then you kind of start thinking like, fucking hell, can I, can, I can't catch a break here. And then the pandemic and stuff like that. I just thought, let's just take it down. So we are going to have a slight change of direction. It's almost like I'm done with telling you what to look out for, who to avoid. No, not, not every price that ends in a seven is a scam. It's just... It's something that I, you know what I mean? It's like people think, oh, it must be a scam because yeah. it's 27 pounds. It's just a fucking price, mate. But it's just, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, stuff yeah. like that. It's like, use your brain, be a bit more smart with this stuff. Would it, do you think it's, it, it's an harder, like a tougher pill to swallow when like all legal comes at you and all this stuff comes at you, it, you know, 10 days? Is it a tougher pill to swallow knowing that there wasn't really an exit plan in place or a monetary gain? It, like you were trying, you were yeah. genuinely being a, a vigilante online. Yeah. And if I said to people now, like, look, guys, that, aud- that audience especially, look, guys, like I've literally had eight grand's worth of legal fees this month just to keep this channel like afloat. Would you all pay into a a yeah. Patreon to help me? I guarantee that 99% of them people wouldn't give a fuck about me no. or would pay that. And that then made me think. And I used to get, when's your next video being uploaded? You've not uploaded for a week. It's like, hold on, we- I never agreed a service level agreement with you and all that stuff. Like, I don't work for you. I do this when I want to and it's and it's for my own age. That's, like, that's a funny one, yeah. But it's true, like... No, it, it is. I'm, I, I, I think, I'm, obviously, I'm very different to you and that, like, I, I like the fact that, you know, people look forward to what I'm posting on a Thursday or a Friday. Mm. But it, it does make me laugh that we had, like, a bit of a med... You remember that, that thing with Lynn's where she went to hospital? Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, it's not that I've always got vid- I've got videos coming out my ass, you know, like for the next six weeks. But I don't like a video to go up if I'm not there to interact with those first few people who really love it, you know. So I'll just if this you algorithm like slots. <laughs> <laughs> but there's um no, I genuinely like those first people that get in because I can't reply to every comment. So the first people I watch at seven o'clock, I know they give a shit, you know. So I want to reply to as many of them anyway. So Linz goes in a hospital, right? So I'm like, well, fuck this. I'm just going to d- delay that video, right? There's no video tonight. And I put up a little post on all my social... Sorry, you know, there'll be a video in a few days. And there's... Most people are understanding, but you get, you know, like you, 20, 20 people. What the fuck? Why is there no video tonight? Give us... I was like, Jesus, man. Like... It's free you, charge, you, you, mate. Yeah, like, you're not what? my boss. And like, I, I, although I appreciate people watching, of course, there's no like agreement. If I want to go down to one video a month, like I could, you know, that you can't really complain yeah. about that. And that's know? the same thing. I appreciate anyone that watched my videos and supports me and all that type of thing. But it kind of started to get to a point where it's like, that cost me four and a half grand. It's taken me four months worth of like research, doing a fucking course to give you an update. And you're whinging about something. It's like, it's costing me money to put this stuff out. And then you won't even give me a little bit of leeway where, oh, sorry, that video's delayed. Like I've had fucking legal problems with it or whatever. And I knew um, that if I tried to sell them something and when I did the book, so I obviously had to sell the blank book to do that video. I had an audience at that time of 62,000. This was on LinkedIn. And I put out um, a message saying like, here you go, like buy my book. But for it to work, I couldn't tell you what it was for at the time. Otherwise it would skew it. And I don't want to like... The joke doesn't work. The joke would work anyway, but the joke doesn't work out. And it's not a real reflection if I say, oh, just buy this book so it gets done on one Amazon. I wanted to learn how many books it took to get done on one Amazon. It was 49, by the way. And I've seen that video. Right. I thought 49 is even in the, you know, game in it, like you say. Yeah. 49 is not much. Is and the money thing is you can buy 15 yourself. So you can buy 15, like, yeah. um, Kindle versions yourself anyway. So you get your mates to do it, I suppose, couldn't you? 15 yeah, each. 15 each, done. Job done. So guaranteed me. Anyway. And genuinely, some of my, what you'd call hardcore fans that you thought you understand this were like, ah, so this is what it's all been for. Like, <laughs> it's a fucking 99p book, mate. <laughs> Amazon is taking 87p of it. <laughs> but, and this one, and that, and it was that moment and that video where I realized I built an audience of people that just want to be entertained. They don't want me to ever do anything for money or actively yeah. say, I've got a business that makes money or sells things. And when I did the merch, the merch was because I wanted to do an episode on how much money does a YouTuber make to do some like real, this is what YouTubers won't tell you. Weirdly enough, that's quite a common video that a lot of people do now. But at the time it wasn't really done. How much do you really make from a million views or how much do you really make from, that wasn't really done at the time. And because I wasn't asked, I would let you tell you, I would like to tell people how many subscribers and all this kind of stuff. So when I tried to do that, some of that audience that you thought, got it or you were doing it for would give you so much shit. And it just made me think like at no point have I ever agreed to a certain service level agreement and blah, blah, you're not paying for this shit. And then you're giving me, if you really support me and I am your favorite creator or one of them, why wouldn't you like pay money or whatever? I'm not saying that's what I was trying to do at that point in time. And during that time when I was at my lowest, I did a poll proper taking the piss. It's still up, I think. And I said like, this is what's been going through. And to this backdrop as well, me and my missus weren't doing too well. I'm going through divorce and stuff like that. Um, and all these different things were happening. Hard loads of weight on. I would blame COVID, but I think it, like, you know, like being in lockdown, but it's probably KFE, KFC and Just Eat was probably like the biggest <laughs> to blame for it. But so there were all these different things. And I did a post like saying, 
if I told you this is the reason I'm not uploading, one, two, three, and one of the options was, I don't give a fuck about your mental health or how you're getting on, just give me that next video. And like 40% of people voted that as their actual answer. And that was just like, this is this is why none of these people, um, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some that really want, and what I found was, it was when I started to talk on LinkedIn about real business stuff, most real business people want to know about how did you grow scale? How did you market your business? How did you grow an audience of 200,000 and that type of thing? So the legals on top of everything else I was going through, I was just like, oh, fuck that. I just let the channel, and I've not uploaded a video for eight months. And I feel better for it, if I'm honest. We've touched on it ever since. I'll come back. I'll come back with that more. I've told you what not to do. Here are some of the things and here are real experts and yeah. here are people I trust that want to do it the right way. But I don't know how the audience will take to that new content when it comes out. That's a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, like we, we've said before, like if you're going to start a channel, we, we actually did a full episode about sort of the, the trolls or like the, the, I guess the behind the scenes of what, oh, did we ever release that video? We haven't, no. have we? We've never released it. It's it's just a quick one though. By the way, Grant Cardone threatened to come over and cave my head in with a, with a rock. I've had death threats. I had my, um, they call it docs, don't they? When they dox you, when they put all your personal details on YouTube. So I had people come up with my kids' school that they go to. Yeah, yeah because for a lot of people, they, especially because Mike Winnett is a character, they think that I've lied about my old business. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think people think, because they're searching for Mike Winnett. Well, of course I'm not on fucking Company's House. It's not even a real person. It's like searching Mr. Bean on Company's House. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, um, So I just started getting, and that was the thing, because now my content had been seen by an audience that had never seen or knew about my real business past and stuff like that. It's just... Too much hassle. So even the people that were super fans, they think they're helpful. Even now, I joined Facebook a week ago. I've had, oh, you did that video about scam your leads. Yeah, two and a half years ago, mate. Yeah. Like, st stop fucking banging on about it. Like, yeah. I, I'm doing something different now. You need to do a follow-up about Samuel Leeds. I actually, I actually said this guy, you can see it on Facebook. I said, why? Well, he's done this, he's done that, he's done that. And I said, so if you already know all these things... Why do you need a video for me <laughs> yeah. to tell you these things? I said, he goes, well, so-and-so's done a video on it. So I said, so there's already five other content creators that have done a video about that person on these things. Why do you need me to do this? What you want is drama. You want to see two people arguing online for your entertainment. And I always look back, it's the class clown in school. There was that prick in class, wasn't it? He was funny. You didn't care if he passed his, you just wanted him to entertain you, but you'd crack on with your work. And that's how I felt like I had become. Yeah. I was entertaining people that were hard at work making money. But if I then got my head down, stopped being the class guy and tried to earn a bit of money or work hard, they'd be like, well, hang on, you're here to entertain us. Yeah, like we don't yeah. like it now that you're, and it was like, so people watch my videos on the lunch break and whatever. And then if I said, Hey guys, will you buy a book for 99p? Oh, well, I don't like this now. You're now monetizing your audience. That's the weird thing. I mean, like we're just about to sit there touching it we did a full episode about like the comment section and youtube and the sort of culture of the comment section and it's really difficult like when you go into a public facing domain like especially i mean like obviously me i'm like don't exist you've got you've got a brand to consider with when we do these podcasts so like in a sense of like the, the brand the, I, I don't call not, it that, i don't mean by like a brand, but there's, there's eyes on this what we're doing isn't there so we've got to be really careful on what we say and then that's that, true yeah. that goes with what you're doing like you've gone into this as a public figure like as an influential voice even if it is under an alias and it's terrifying what people can get away with online because it's, it's just 
especially with some of the people I talk about because they've got super fans. There are super fans of Gary V. And and this is what I say. And I'll take the Samuel Leeds as an example. Samuel Leeds, it seems like whenever he had a beer, he would get on at me at Twitter and like try and draw me out or whatever. But I used to find it funny. Uh, so he's a property investor, yeah. sells property courses. I remember doing a tweet where, bear in mind, we're like 18 months after the video has come out. And he asked to come on the video. We did the video. And he probably come off worse because I just asked really simple questions and just let him talk. I thought it was brilliant. Like I didn't even have to say anything bad about the guy, but also I didn't know the guy. He'd asked to come on. I just did an interview with him and it's probably, he came off worse in that interview because I, what I was saying, when he was saying anything, I couldn't like challenge him. So I just say, if you've been to his course, let me know in the comments if this is right or wrong. And obviously the comment section went off. Went off is, is that still published, that video? No, that was one of the ones um, that I got legal letters about. Yeah. And blah, 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 so blah. I'm, Even I'm, though it was bullshit, by the way, they said that it was defamation, but then started naming people in the comments. I thought, well, I can't be fucking held responsible for people I in the comments. I remember seeing that because of, like, you can could, you could see how he, he didn't come across well, but that by his own... Exactly. Like I didn't, make, I didn't yeah, make like, him say anything he didn't say. I just yeah. asked the question if I can give the answers. Like, so was, you can't really put the blame on me, but whatever. It's like, there's no point arguing with him. But he kept... So he always goes on about property and he kept saying like, we need to do a live debate or whatever. And I always used to say, what's mad is Samuel that you're a property trainer and you teach people how to make money from property. Yeah, I've been living rent free in your head for two years. Do you know what I mean? I said like, you're like an ex-bird that I won't text back. Like, why, <laughs> why do I need to do it? And he's like, I need to live debate you. And I say, live debate about what? I've not got a different opinion on anything. I asked you about property investing. You give me your answers. And that was it. We did an interview that you asked for questions that you'd okayed before we started and you're still in a mood. So it's dead weird. But um, with him or, and any of these entrepreneurs, I'm not saying he is one, by the way, alleged alleged. but anyone that I do content on, they've got super fans. And this is why I find it. It's annoying, right? Because if I live debate Samuel Leeds or whoever, my fans, no matter what Samuel says, will still be my fans and will disagree with anything he says. Like even if he blows me away with like logic and yeah. facts and stuff like that, his fans, no amount of evidence or facts or figures I could say about him will believe him the same thing and will challenge every single thing that I say. So it's not a live debate where you're trying to sway like a sensible audience. You've got two extremes of people that don't like it's it. It's like the extremes of politics, isn't it? When you've gone too yeah. far one way to the too far the other. So it's not really a live, de- like, it's not a debate. So you can't win that. Your fans will still be your fans at the end. My fans will still be my fans at the end. And I saw loads of people, the best content he made, as in most viewed recently, take the last two years, are always when he's responding to his haters. So I knew why he wanted to do that content. You need that to for the publicity. or yeah, to yeah, for keep the clicks. Alive. Yeah. Well, for me, it makes no difference. Yeah. Like, because I, I don't really give a fuck about YouTube. It's for want of a better phrase. Like, well, yeah, so that's a perfectly useful, serviceable phrase, I think. And yeah. it goes back to reasons for doing it. Because it, it doesn't help me in real yeah, life. Yeah. I mean, the only thing it's opened doors for is people now in my real business say, oh, I love that video you made about that. Oh, by the way, you make content for businesses. Mm. So uh, so the change of direction with the channel will be, um, and with that views my own stuff that I'm doing. So views my own because I've been banned from LinkedIn. And people always ask me one of three things. Go on. I was saying, can you quickly tell Adam why he got banned from LinkedIn? Because I tried to explain it. Right, so. I think you did explain it. I, I, not very well, I don't think, but Jack's in the room. 
Elf porn. So yeah. we we made an animation which explains. No, you did. You totally explain. I know why. I will explain anyway. Yeah. The audience will listen now. So so Iron Productions is a content creation company or content marketing company for businesses or entrepreneurs or anyone that's like launching the business. So we'll make video content for people, right? Similar to what you do, but we've got a more emphasis on animations, animated explainer videos. So um, Jack, talented Jack. Uh, formerly known as Banner Boy, he made um, our animation for the business. And he animated us all as sort of like different characters. Mine had a very strong jawline. And, um, <laughs> so it's accurate then. Yeah. Good. So Jack animated himself as an elf playing like sort of elf computer games. And it's literally on screen for about three seconds. And um, there's hand sanitizer and his ears are like twitching. I don't know if you use the hand sanitizer. I can't remember that bit. So he uses the hand sanitizer and his ears are twitching. And then Jack did a post on LinkedIn that said, um, what do you think of my animation? Um, can you tell which one I am? And I responded in the comments on a post by my own business. Are you the one wanking to elf porn? <laughs> right? That was it. But I'd starred out the word wanking and porn was with a, um, a zero rather than a no. So it's not like bot driven. Anyway. Someone reported that, not Jack, I hope it wasn't you, Jack, anyway, but <laughs> someone reported that um, comment as harassment and bullying. So mine was like, who? Jack's not complained. It's a comment between two people. So you can harass and bully someone online. They don't even have to see it as that. So it's basically someone has reported me. Then they allowed me back on LinkedIn for one hour and then someone randomly anonymously reported me. So I've never been told who it was, but someone anonymously reported twice in the space of like an hour. And then gone, my content was gone. Then I lost a 90,000 account, which in my old business is what gained 340 customers and meant that we made millions of pounds and they could just take it away from you. And that's why I thought I need a platform of my own to teach people real business stuff that I own, that no one can sort of get rid of me. And that's why Views of My Own was born. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's what you you've said before, aren't you? Like you've got to because you're building something on someone else's property. If you build yeah. an audience, there. yeah, the concern of like your content. I know it's not controversial in any capacity, but like your no, but it's you, people. What people don't realize about YouTube is like, I say this. I've said this before. Like, you're always one word away from ending your career. And and B, yeah, I mean, like I, I come. I, I it's not common, but like if people say something negative to me. I've said things back to people which aren't you know I might not use swears or whatnot, but I, I'm well known I think for being quite mischievous in the comments so like if you um got to a point where you know you were reported or whatever and my channel's gone overnight like I'm lucky enough that, that I'd be all right now you know but like if you're in the midst of it you know if or, and if it really means the world to you you could have a channel deleted over you know yeah that's why you need overnight. to spread spread your audience on multiple platforms and and that's that's what the smart things do or have your own mailing list I'm not talking this from like a business perspective if you're like running a business or whatever you built an audience if you've got an audience that's only on Facebook groups what happens if Facebook changed the rules all of a sudden or whatever? Mm -hmm. So you need to be smart and move that audience there. Also. So I was looking since I had a similar number, 90,000, 86,000, 87,000 on YouTube, yeah. but the audience is very different. They're there that want to be entertained. And the other this audience was business. Business, yeah, yeah. Um, and with, that still liked some of the entertainment because what they liked is how I used entertainment to tell them, what, what do you call it? Educate? Edutainment? Educainment? They've got a mad word for it. It's like Is that a real word? It's like entrepreneur. Yeah, no, it's like educational right. entertainment. They, so. call, they call that a portmanteau when yeah. you put two words together. Is that real? Yeah. It's, I, it's just because I have a useless degree in English literature. That I know that, <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. But yeah, so there you go. What, what you're going to tell us, they said there were three, I, I often ask, I think you tell us why you got banned from LinkedIn, but there was 
three things you were going to tell us? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I lost it. Anybody in the room? Oh, views my own. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, yeah so, and so that's then I just started to think like, do you know what? I 90% of the questions I get asked about from like real business people that, that are more interested in the business stuff or you're telling us to not listen to th- these types of people. What is the alternative? So I started to move my content towards here's Roberto Blake. He knows how to build yeah. an audience. I started to almost go like here's. I'm not saying I've bought their courses, but these people are are saying it's a long game. You've got to do it right. And the credible, like, like yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, credible people. Almost like saying, I'm not giving them my stamp for authority, but asking them genuine questions from people that want to do things the right way, blah, blah, blah. Um, and 90% of the questions I get asked were, number one, how, how do I grow my audience? How do I grow on social media? And because I've done it on LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, um, I could kind of give a decent enough answer because I'd done it on multiple platforms. And then it was, how do we do better marketing? Because our marketing was really good um, on how can I sell more? They're the three things that most people ask me questions on. How do I get seen by more people? How do I market those people better? And how do I sell more with all these leads that I'm getting? And I would end up answering the same questions over and over again, like being on a dating app, I imagine. It's like the same questions over and over again. I've, I've never been on there. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't I tell know. you. You've not been on there, mate. You're, no, you're that generation, aren't you? Somebody once faked, but used the profile. Apparently, that's like two or three people alerted me to it on, um, what's the main one, Tinder? Oh, yeah. Like so, someone was using my picture. I don't know why. I mean, I'm like a four out of 10 on a good day. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, why would you be using this? Can you imagine it? But it? I thought, I was quite flattered by it, actually. Adam, five foot two. Viking. <laughs> this guy. Little Viking. He's not five food. foot two, you told him. He must be five foot two and a half. Yeah, because we're normal size. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking. Um, yeah, so I just thought like I'm answering the same questions over and over again. And and these seem to be the actual people that genuinely value my yeah. time and stuff. Um, like when you came down, like you came down and wanted to talk about real business stuff. And so I just thought that's the sort of crowd like that I, I kind of want to sort of deal with. So when I come back to YouTube, it's going to be more like I've been trying these things at the moment. I'm trying how to grow your audience on Twitter. I'm following a real process by a guru and I'm tracking my actual results. That's funny that because you Fuck said Twitter. You, it's Twitter. Like, it's not been verified on Twitter, but you said fucking hell, what's, what's Mike been on recently? Because you only yeah, thought about yeah. four I, I just thought you were like on speed or something. I thought this dude's yeah, fucking no. tweeting like 400 <laughs> times a day. I'm like, I'm, trying, I'm thinking, what's going on here? Yeah. So, so this is, so this is what I mean now. So I've gone back to basics, but instead of going, I'm going to spend four grand on this guru's course to see if it's real or not, I'm going to go, fuck that. Why don't I do stuff that's actually beneficial to my real business and real life and go, right, I'm going to test that guru's process on how to grow your Twitter following to 30,000 because that's actually going to benefit people. Do you know what I mean? Rather than saying, hey, guess what? Those guys that we thought were fake, I've just put four and a half grand in their pocket and guess what? They're fake. (laughs) It's expensive uh there. yeah. Yeah. So that's why I just thought, so why don't I start testing real business stuff that if it's true, you can apply in your real business and yeah. do it. And that's where I've used my own to start. So every week or every month I try a different business challenge. And um, one was like getting influencers to give me a shout out, stuff oh, like that. Yeah. But then it's just to show how did I do it? How much did it cost? And the impact and it's real stuff. So it's kind of like, a grown-up version of the entrepreneur stuff. I don't know how the audience will take to that because they might now go, "Oh, what?" So I've got to sign up to your. Well, that goes that goes back to what you said. Like, you've got eight six thousand followers on uh, YouTube that are just there for entertainment. How many of those eight six thousand are business owners 
which is a small percentage, then how many yeah. would have would want to invest a ten pound a month or fifteen pound a month? Yeah. You know, like even though it's a deductible cost, a lot of people it's then doing that refining down. Yeah, it? but the maddest thing was the people that get it. To them, it's like a it's a logical step. Yeah. But you've got people like no, no, talk shit about Samuel Leeds or talk shit about Ty Lopez again. Make us laugh. Yeah, yeah. Is that and it's almost like but you're like the worst element of my audience. You just want you don't care about me. You want you don't mind if Grant Cardone's yeah. threatening or I'm being doxxed or getting death threats and stuff because that's funny to you because I'm entertaining you for five minutes of your life. Yeah, even though it's like beating you down for a couple. It's like yeah, yeah when it's, you're it's, like living this down, shit and stuff it? like yeah. mad when you've got people posting like your kids' names in the school for what? Yeah, because I dare call your guru. By the way, I bet you've never paid that guru five grand and done his course because if you had you wouldn't be saying these yeah, nice things about it wouldn't be your guru anymore would exactly you? Yeah. so and, and that's what i found mad it's almost like and no amount of evidence would convince that element of yeah. people so it's almost like i've already convinced those that i could convince i think what now i can't keep repeating the same thing and then hoping that i'm going to convince because let them do what they want to do. I'm not responsible for what they do. We're going to have to do a part two to this because we could talk about the influencer thing all day and Mike would be a good person to chat to on that. Absolutely, yeah. So as you are educated in all these sort of fields, one thing that Adam, I keep bringing up with Adam is um, I keep getting tips from your office, not necessarily from you, but from your office in the crypto space. I've had a couple of good hot tips yeah. in this last year um, as an absolute... Well, that was one of the things novice. I tested, didn't I? I bought some crypto mining rigs, spent 30 grand on it and I mined shit coins for two years well that's that was the first time i'd ever heard anybody talk about crypto or mining or explain it in a way that i actually understood well that is thank you josh that's what we do as a business we take difficult (laughs) concepts and explain them in a way that even people like yourself can understand like you've got bags of cash to respond to this podcast we'll mention you every time (laughs) (laughs) and i used to have bags of cash but worse than any entrepreneur course is getting divorced if you want to lose your money quickly That's the, that's the quickest way of doing it. So what's half a millionaire called? <laughs> uh, that's what I am now. Well, we'll talk about crypto rather than yeah, divorce. Yeah. Um, so if we know about crypto. If anybody that's wanted to learn about crypto or crypto mining, check out. That's, we'll put, my, we'll biggest, that's my biggest uh, viewed video now. More than the entrepreneur stuff is the it's, crypto, it's amazing, crypto for dummies video. It genuinely is amazing and it explains it in clear as, clear as mud. But can you explain what the fuck is an NFT? Because... Can you like read the email out? Right, okay. So do you want me to read the email? Yeah, you, you tell right, it, give so some I'm context. Getting, I'm, like, I don't want to. I'm judging it without really knowing about it, right? But the amount of emails I'm getting about people trying to get me to sell NFTs and whatever, and I'm like, just fuck. I've, I've actually got to the point where I'm calibrating my email to block the the phrase NFT because I don't give a shit, right? But I, could, <laughs> I got this email, right? I'll, I'll read it out to you just for fun. Um, Penis enlarger. <laughs> no, do, do you get those emails? I, I, I would, still I would, get them even I, now. Like I would have taken them up on that actually. Yeah, still still waiting for a, a, a serviceable working penis enlarger. But anyway, I'll take those blue Zeus pills instead. <laughs> <laughs> so I got this email right from. I'm not going to say what it's from, like, just for you know protection and whatnot. Um, it says here basically contacting you through our company email. But my name is Tony, founder of company. We're a crypto news media aggregator with a token on Binance Smart Chain in capital letters for some reason. Jackson or didn't corner. That must um, be good. We're getting ready to re- release something monkeys. These are 5,000 utility-based NFTs that reward their holders ape swap bananas just by holding along with some other unique, uh, some, some other aspects. Pretty foolproof. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds it. Uh, 
Yeah, then just more shit about monkeys and bananas. Do you, what is that? Does anyone know what that means? So, like, I honestly think it's just the bigger... What's it called? The bigger fool theory, where you basically buy something and then a bigger fool comes along later on. Buys it again. And buys it again. Like, that's what it seems to me. But Ian explained it quite well to me. And I'll get Jack in. He's our expert. So, Jack has tipped us on a few things. And Jack has actually got a couple of projects himself, haven't you? He's got, like, yeah. um, Phantom Lollies. Phantom Ice oh, yeah, lollies. you were talking about that before we started, right? Yeah, so someone explained it to me, like, so back in the day, an artist would do a piece of art. Yeah. That would be the original. It would get paid. Uh, you'd get paid a lot on um, for doing the original artwork. But now we're moving into a digital world. So there's people creating digital art, and it's just the equivalent of, like, a digital artist. So when you buy an NFT, you're buying the original version of that. And in theory, it's one of one. Yeah. And it's registered on the, blo- on the blockchain. That's how I understand it, but... I haven't got a fucking clue because I remember asking um, a guy that came into our office to explain it to us and we're actually doing some stuff in that which will be on the YouTube channel in a few months' time. I said, what stops me just right-clicking and saving saving it? Saving that there JPEG. Yeah, and he says, well, basically you can. Like just having a a reprint of, say, the Mona Lisa. But the actual original is the original. Yeah. So it's just, to me, it's just digital art that you own and you're the original owner of it. it's a bit like... Um, Can you get a bit close? So this, is Jack, this, is, yeah, this yeah. is Jack from uh, Iron Productions. He's the... Uh... Uh, yeah, creative lead. I guess I'm uh animator primarily, but I do sort of NFTs in my own time and stuff like that. And in work time, I've clocked him a few times. <laughs> it's not like work, Jack. Don't pay for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so it's, it's, it's almost like um, everyone sort of had a Charizard Pokemon card as a kid. It was Crumple. But if you look now, they've got like mint ones that have come straight out of the pack, perfect. They're so rare that it's there's not many of them about, and it's the same as NFTs. So say a Board 8 Yacht Club, there's only ever going to be however many there is, 1,000. And they are all gone now. They're in they're in accounts. So I don't know. It's it's more about owning the, like, the ID of it rather than the image itself. So you're gambling then that that project yeah. is one that's going to be popular because there's loads of rubbish ones that aren't going to make any money and it's going to be, yeah. it's easy like crypto for entrepreneurs to now exploit this as a, because it, again, it's like you're hearing enough of it. You kind of know that it's something that people are doing. So I think it's easy to hook people in because you don't know anything about it. I could pass myself off now as, a, as an expert yeah. and say to you, oh, just give me two grand and then I can set you up with an NFT, What blah, 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 blah. And that's how they're getting loads of people. So scams will be rife in NFTs, won't they? Yeah, definitely. It's better to make the thing. Yeah. Like, it's better to make the project and sell it to other people rather than, you know. Well, so you, as, as though you're like the original artist selling. But yeah. like, what I thought, thought I'd heard or understood it as is that the digital product might have some sort of value behind it. So like if you bought that one NFT, that could be an entrance ticket to... A football yeah, game yeah, a lot of people that, are doing that. They're uh, assigning like real life things to them, aren't they? That is similar to what that is. So you get like uh, whatever it was, banana tokens or whatever. <laughs> sort of like gamifying it to. I love bananas. Incentive. Like, I mean, like if I got real bananas, I'd probably sign up. Like, you send me a year's worth of free bananas. Yeah, but the thing is, it's almost like if you buy the NFT, say for argument's sake, ten phantom, and then you get dropped, say a hundred bananas, and then bananas are then worth a hundred phantom. You've sort of made. 10 times your money back 
and you've still got your NFT. So. And then you can sell your bananas. Yeah. For, the, the, for the phantom. Yeah. To the next idiot, yeah. We've seen on Twitter, everyone's changing their profile picture to become like ape faces and yeah. stuff now. It's just mad, isn't it? They got, when I signed into Twitter the other day, it said you can now, you, I tweeted about it. You can, it's, but it's just it's, flossing, isn't it? Everyone always, so like, like Lam- Lamborghinis was a thing five years ago for YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Now it's like, have I got a bored ape, yacht yeah. club, yeah. whatever it's fucking club. called. Yeah, yeah. NFT is it's my profile flex, picture. It? Yeah. It's a new flex. Yeah, because like Eminem's bought one, aren't they? Yeah, spot one. And you know pineapples in olden days. If you had a pineapple on your, it, like on your shelf, like a, that showed that you were wealthy because they were so rare. So people <laughs> would keep pineapples on there just to show like I can afford a pineapple. God, just let it rot. It's mad. So it's just that, isn't it, for these people nowadays? So I still don't know what that email meant. You, maybe you could tell me afterwards, mate. I don't, no. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but no, it's, it's hard to, it's hard it's to getting describe. Deleted, but yeah, we will, we will be doing um, some stuff on NFTs, and we'll be explaining how it's all worked and how much money, if anything, have we made from what Jack's been doing and stuff like that. So again, trying to explain it in the way that we explain the crypto stuff, but I am exactly like you. I've not got a clue. Sounds like they're talking a different language. You know, it feels like the crypto space and the NFT space. It kind of feels like, yeah, let's get involved, but only from like an investment standpoint of what, like anything else, like what are you willing to lose? Like I sort of think I'll dabble in it. Like I dabble in crypto. I've got a crypto wallet. I've I've bought some coins. I've bought, you know, some Ethereum, but it's it's not like of of what I actually of the money that I've got, it's a very small percentage because yeah. like I'm willing to lose it. I've heard someone say that if you're going to invest, you should have 10% of your investment pot in crypto. Right. It's just sort of like a general rule. I think Jimmy Hill said a similar thing. I think he, he said a bunch of stuff. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate the advice. I just didn't absorb any of it because like I, I got out of like working for a bank because I fucking hate, I don't hate money. That's you could have been sat here on a lawnmower if you played your cards. <laughs> <right? laughs> no, they weren't giving us stuff like that, man. We got like, I got a free bottle of, shit champagne at the end of the year you know if i've done fucking 40 percent overtime some ridiculous but uh what was i gonna say yeah i mean like i hate all that like materialism you know that's what fucking ruins youtube as well that's a whole different uh, aspect yeah, well, you but don't do any sponsorship you don't do i very rarely do it that's the, the problem is as well not with sponsorship there's nothing wrong with advertising you know that's a, the problem is it's especially on youtube instagram all that shit it's so rarely done with integrity it's always done you because you want your five grand or ten grand or the astronomical amounts i've been telling you about people offer me to sell dodgy shit yeah and if if, if you're a certain type of person you're just like yeah i'll sell it to the um, but for me those people are valuable i won't entertain them and you know I, I don't see them as marks to be sold to and that's what winds me up about it all. and they're enablers for entrepreneurs because you know if a entrepreneur says to you sell my forex training or say that you do this I know loads of sort of like B, B and C list celebrities, Love Island stars and stuff like that, that will just do whatever you ask them to do if they get paid like a grand, 1500 quid or whatever. And they don't realize that that's going out to millions of people that then think, all oh, right, that person does invest yeah. in that course. So influencer marketing has been hijacked and exploited in a negative way by a lot of entrepreneurs. We, we, need to get, we need to do a part. You want for doing a part two, Mike? Yeah, We'll definitely. do a part on influencer marketing because that'd be a fun one. Right. There's yeah. some funny stories I could tell you about well, that. I've got some questions for you guys, but we can film that afterwards. We'll and that is yeah, for yeah. Uh, views on my own. And that is on about uh, growing a YouTube channel, which is one of the things I get asked about business all the time. Yeah, we'll put a link below to views on my own. We'll put a link to Mike's channel. We'll put a link to everything so that you can sort of follow up on this and learn a bit more. We'll do a part two if Mike, you're willing to come back over and sit with us again because we've We've definitely done what over two hours. We could go over to Mike's studio and work. Oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool. Yeah, I always feel like I'm the um, most sort of let like the biggest letdown when you think of a millionaire and what they're like and stuff. Like I'm proper boring. I've invested all my money 
saved it all. I've not that's splashed sense. out. I, can, I, I think, I think that's the other way around. That's more impressive to that, me. Yeah, that's I, what, I hate if you were wearing like a big I had the same watch. Ford Focus for like 18 months after I sold my business. Like 13 plate Ford Focus. I think the sensible way to do it, like, like you are doing, is what should be preached more of rather than go get the Rolex, the Lambo. The... Anyone can be a millionaire if you invest a, like a percentage of your salary from, from young enough. Like almost guaranteed. Almost guaranteed. Yeah, so the S&P 500 return. Like, what the fuck is it? Are you working for them? You keep telling me you're yeah, an S&P 500. 500. Are you working like, for Vanguard? I know you for a stockbroker, for fuck's sake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I got told that- You try over, to get them to sponsor the podcast. Yeah. Over, t- over 20 hey, years, it's never lost money. Like no one's ever lost money. After yeah, just, being... just do that. Like, and, yeah. like I saw um, someone said a stat, if you worked in McDonald's <laughs> and just, just invested two hours of your salary every week, just that you'll be a millionaire when you retire. And that just goes to show from like age 18. So you can work at McDonald's for your whole career, retire at 65 and you'll be a millionaire. You don't, being a millionaire isn't that hard if you actually invest a percentage of that. And that's the problem with society now. It's hard they to want do a, that. They that want I, a shortcut. I think, yeah, I agree. But like, it's, it's hard to do it when people are paid absolute poverty wages, especially when you yeah. look at the NHS and all the people that do hard work. Yeah, there. of course. Not of that, course. I, not but that, that I mean, that's because other things have become expensive now and inflation's going off the chain. So we need but a part yeah. two. We're running out of disc space. Yeah, we are. We need a part, part three. <laughs> right. It's been a long Any one. final comments, Adam? No, just thanks to Mike for coming in, uh, bringing his impressive chin with him as well. And um, Both of them. Yeah, I we, <laughs> we, uh, hope people enjoyed it. And um, Watch yeah, out we'll, for part two, yeah. Yeah, we'll do a part two, which will be, t- we'll, we'll talk about some funny influencer stuff. I hope you spoke about me as much on uh, Jimmy Hill's podcast as you spoke about him <laughs> on mine. He's a fan of you. He's a big fan. Is he? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Is. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a massive fan of him. I know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, thank you very much for coming on. Watch out for part two. Catch you on the next one. Peace.